This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Top of the Monday morning to you. I'm your life coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this program to give you and yours the tools you need, the information you need to grow healthier, happier lives, hopefully to live longer, love stronger, lead the life you want to lead. Welcome to the program. Holy cow, news. Crazy. I think the scariest, saddest news on earth. Processed foods, processed meats, apparently carcinogenic according to who? Who? The World Health Organization. Processed meats cause cancer. Oh, come on! I know! Makes me sick. Processed meats such as hot dogs and ham is uh, now in the group one list um, for things which, like tobacco, asbestos, and diesel fumes, have known cancer leaks. <sighs> now what? Apparently, it increases the risk of developing colorectal bowel cancer because of their consumption of processed meats. So the IARC, which is the International Agency for Research on Cancer, part of the WHO, World Health Organization, uh, they're saying you got to watch out for it. Red meat, um, uh, which the IARC includes beef, lamb, and pork— was classified as a probable carcinogen. Now, you know what that means. There goes life, as we know it. Not good. But don't worry. It probably really means in moderation. You got to – it's moderation. It always is. It always has been. You can have a moderate amount of asbestos and diesel fuel. Now, I'm going to bet, I don't know, we'll get another study in a few weeks that'll say, no, you can have light doses of all of these things. Anyway, sad, sad day. By the way, Howl at the Moon Day is October 26th is Howl at the Moon Day. I don't know if you saw it. I saw the moon when I was driving here this morning. Beautiful, huge. And I just naturally was howling and I didn't even know it was Howl at the Moon Day. Such a great day. Also, happy National Pumpkin Day. Speaking of our national pumpkin, today is also Hillary Clinton's birthday, which is Ben calls Hillary his little pumpkin. Pumpkin without a P in it. Pumpkin. I didn't know you were that close, Ben, but that's great. You guys close? Um, you could say that, I think. How, how old do you think Hillary Clinton is today? It's her birthday. 36. (laughs) Not even close. (laughs) You never ask a lady her age. But the New York Times gave it to us. So she has a problem with it. Talk to the New York Times. She'll be 68 today. Yeah. But she's still, you know, still kicking. She took on Benghazi. She took on Biden. She took on the, the, uh, the debate. She's still kicking. 
Hey, speaking of the debate and poll numbers, apparently uh, it's happening. Ben Carson is up in the polls in Iowa. He just passed one poll. Donald Trump. Just one poll. One poll. That's all you need. CBS's poll. Mm-hmm. That's all you need. They're even. One poll. We can now say he's up. The other polls have Carson up by like eight points. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Those are from last week. So the most recent one is the CBS poll. It has them at- Up by two points or so. Something like that. So it's all neck and neck. And see, we're going to find out here in a minute why polling key. is bunk. Po- polling is not bunk. It's bunk. Don't say that because some people make a living on their polling, well, even okay. though it's like 12% off. <laughs> There's a plus or minus 12 on this. Have you noticed that some of the polls, A, right now, do they even matter? We're going to find out. It pro- they probably don't for a variety of reasons. One is because we're a year away from the election, which is a big deal. We're a few months, what, five months away from the actual caucuses? Caucuses. Is it five, maybe three months away from like February or March. Cockeye. So pretty close, pretty pretty close to something being real. Yeah, we're getting closer. But in the re- in reality, the polling may not matter and we're going to be speaking with Dr. Cliff Zukin who is an expert on the subject and he's going to talk about the fact that the polls they aren't what they used to be. No. Cuz we used to just be able to call, get the home phone and someone would talk to us for about 10 minutes. My mom would do it all the time. Oh, yeah. She probably still does it. Well, it was your it was your civic duty. Now where I look at color ID and go, <laughs> no. You don't even get a phone call on your cell phone. I mean, I haven't ever had a polling I have had call. a few. Have you? Yeah, they're just robocalls. But they're, yeah, uh, well, you're yeah. on all those lists, too. Well, yeah. That's weird. I try to get on as many lists as possible. <laughs> yeah, makes me feel good about myself. No fly lists, all that kind of stuff. So we'll be talking about our cell phones ruining polling and what polls should you really trust, if any. We'll be getting to that in just a few minutes. But before we do that, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. What's going on in the world? Thanks, Matt. An Oklahoma State University homecoming parade turned into chaos Saturday morning when a vehicle crashed into the crowd, killing at least four people, injuring 47 others. Five people remain in critical condition Sunday morning, and a two-year-old boy was among the dead. Stillwater resident Adesia Chambers was arrested and faces second-degree murder charges. Chambers attorney Tony Coleman. She doesn't remember a whole lot about what happened. Uh, there was a period where uh, I think that, for a better lack of terms, she could have even blacked out. The attorney goes on to say that, in my opinion, Ms. Chambers suffered from a mental illness. Chambers will be in court later today. Biden, uh, President and Vice President Joe Biden said Sunday that he would have run for president but decided that he couldn't win and that he would never seek public office again. And it was upstairs with, with Mom, with Jill. And I walked in and I said, you know, I just don't think there's time. I've just decided I don't think we can run the kind of campaign we have to run to be able to win. And I remember Jill just got up off the couch, gave me a big hug and said, I think you're right. In a joint interview with his wife on CBS's 60 Minutes, the vice president said helping his family grieve over the death in May of his son took precedence over a presidential campaign. Heavy rain continues across the south. Remnants of Hurricane Patricia swept across south Louisiana and south Mississippi on Sunday. Rainfall of seven inches or more put parts of both states under flash flood watches with coastal flooding warning uh, warnings because of tides two to three feet above normal were expected overnight. The Mississippi Emergency Management Agency asked residents to watch out for storms and flash floods. Southwest Louisiana got three to four inches on Sunday with a total of four to five Expected by Monday night. Lots of rain. Surf's up. Rain. 
surfs up. And that crazy, deadly uh, earthquake in Afghanistan. I mean, we hear of earthquakes all the time. But 12 young schoolgirls, 12 schoolgirls, dead because of the earthquake causing a stampede of animals to kill and crush the girls. Oh, my heavens. It's just crazy. Anyway, actually, it was a stampede of people in a stairwell. Mm. That's just tragic. This on top of everything else that have gone has gone on in that region with the uh, the earthquakes. And this was in Afghanistan. You were saying, yeah. Pakistan was reporting damage and deaths, and also throughout the. So it's that whole Pakistan. Yeah, and you've seen region. the videos of Afghanistan anyway. Structural I mean, integrity of buildings is in question. Kabul, in Kabul, they were like, it's really bad. There's a lot of buildings going down. Tragedy, tragedy. So um, uh, when we talk about, uh, and, and we do it all the time on the show, we drop these polls, you know, Donald Trump leading in the polls, whatever. In the end, though, polling is really, it's a science and it's, it's getting harder and harder to get the right sample size, to get a representative sample, and to get uh, the information that we need. In fact, if you remember the whole Mitt Romney uh, fiasco a few years ago where he thought his his internal polling said he was doing pretty well. In fact, even a lot of the polls were showing that he was pulling uh, neck and neck and was doing pretty well, except ugh, polls were kind of off. We're going to be talking to an expert on political polling. Dr. Cliff Zukin will be joining us from Rutgers University. He's going to be walking us through, you know, the real process of polling and what is going on, what's making it so hard today. Um, also, maybe some solutions. There's got to be some solutions to better polling. Or let's just all stop believing any of the numbers that we see, right? We'll take a break, come back, talking political polling when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, with the presidential election taking front and center stage uh, in the uh, news across America, the need for election polling and surveys has increased. However, the ability to provide accurate research is becoming increasingly more difficult. Uh, with the threat, uh, you know, of, of an increase in cell phone usage um, and the impact that's having on political polling, L- listen to these, these, uh, these statistics. Um, about 10 years ago, it was estimated that about 6% of the public used only cell phones. Since then, that number has grown to 43%, with an additional 17% mostly using cell phones exclusively. Right? So up to 60% of the population are pretty much just using cell phones. And yet it's harder and harder to get those cell phone numbers for polling. So we're talking to an expert Today uh, on the phone, Dr. Cliff Zukin is joining us, and Dr. Zukin is um, the uh, he's a professor of public policy and political science at the Edward J. Blaustein School for Planning and Public Policy, and at the Eagleton Institute of Politics at Rutgers University. He specializes in public opinion, mass media, and American politics, survey research, and research methods. He's here to help us kind of cut through 
polling and um, political polling, find out uh, what we should believe, what we shouldn't believe, and how we might be able to, uh, to you know, may, maybe create more accurate polling. Dr. Zukin, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks very much, Matt. You bet. Great to have you here. Honored to have you. And, to have, and we need your expertise because we keep hearing about the polls. And then other people are telling us right now, just politically, you don't even need to worry about the polls right now. Because, you know, it's so early in the in the process. Talk to us. Um, talk to us just right now about, first of all, overall polling. It, it is early in the political process, right? Um, when we hear that Ben Carson has passed uh, Donald Trump in Iowa, do, do you feel that those numbers are fairly accurate? Yeah, I think those are fairly accurate. I, I think polls have a more difficult time getting into the weeds, so so disentangling the lowest candidates hmm. about who should be invited to a debate uh, is something they can't do, but they probably can give you some indication of the relative strength of the candidates. So I do believe them to do that. Yeah, so, so they're doing their job now, huh? Well, they're doing their job if that's all you want them to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I think, so like anything, it's a question of polls are a tool and what do you use them for? And if you use them to just tell you about the relative positions of the candidates and who's going up and who's going down, then I think that's fine. So I think they can tell you that Carson's really come up since it started and and Scott Walker really diminished and Chris Christie and Bobby Jindal have never hit. And so, so polls are not misleading us, mm. I don't think. Well, and each one of them, they're using them, right? Each one of these candidates needs to have some type of internal polling, or do they? Well, they do. But uh, the polls in that case pretty much agree on who's going up and who's going down. Polls are really important. The public polls are really important for the candidates' fundraising. Yeah, yeah. you got to show to your followers and the people that are going to give you the money that that you're sticking and and growing. Right. So someone like Chris Christie now is having an awful difficult time raising money because polls show that he's not increased support. Um, and someone like Ben Carson is having a a tremendous fundraising quarter um, and so forth. So polls do affect the candidates' futures uh, by their ability to raise money and generate enthusiasm, and that's that's an okay function for them because it generally does tell you um, which candidates are, are have captured the imagination of the electorate and which haven't. Mm. And and we we really talk talk about the problems that are going on with political polling. We I just remember a lot of people thinking that uh Mitt Romney was doing a lot better in the last presidential election only to find out that not really wasn't close. Well, I thought polls were pretty much on target. Um in fact, polls overestimated Romney a little bit uh, four years ago. The Romney pollster, though, thought that they were going to win. They were actually surprised on Election Day. Mm. Uh, Polls were sort of accurate in 2012. They were tremendously accurate in 2008. And the opening statistics you gave of what's happened with cell phones uh, indicate some of the reasons we're less accurate now and going to be less accurate going into 2016. What's what's happened with cell phones is that we've made a change from dialing landlines to cell phones. That's not a hard thing for us to do. What's hard with cell phones is that they're so much more expensive to do. Hmm. So federal law prohibits cell phones being called by these things that are 
named predictive dialers or automatic dialers. And so they have to be dialed by hand. Oh, wow. And so it takes a lot more labor, which makes it a lot more expensive. And then the second thing that's happened is that the response rate to polling has gone down. It's now maybe about 10% or so. So you're making thousands and thousands of calls to get a representative sample. And we've been able to figure out how to do a representative sample, but we've not been able to figure out how to do it cost-effectively. Mm. Yeah, so you can't afford to do, I guess, as big of a sample size, so smaller samples, I guess? Well, two things are happening. One is that, that there are different, well, three things. There are different people doing the polling now. So Gallup recently announced it wasn't going to do horse race polling, and the Pew Research Center uh, announced that it was going to have a limited polling schedule. And those are two of the giants and most respected polls in our industry. So with them out of circulation, it means that there's not as much ballast Mm. as there was. And then the other thing is that people are trying different methods of doing online polling, or cutting corners, or doing smaller sample sizes, as you suggested, all of which will make us a little bit less accurate this time around. Is it, uh, and I guess who's paying for the polls, uh, the candidates, and I guess the sponsoring agencies, like when CNN does a poll, they would, they'd, they'd sponsor it, they'd pay for it. Right. Well, I'm just talking really about the polls that are in the public domain, okay. because the candidates don't do that. Yeah. But, but one of the things you certainly know from your business is there's, there's been a huge contraction in the media industry. Right. And a big downsizing in the last four and eight years. And so there are fewer resources that newsrooms are putting into polling. And very good, good um, state polls, for example, like the Minneapolis Star Tribune or the Star-Ledger-Eagleton poll no longer exist. And so they've, they've you know, very good state polls have stopped being players in polling, and I think that's hurt the the environment as well for having good, reliable information out there. There's just fewer mainstream pollsters than there were four and eight years ago. It's become much more expensive to do. It seems like you also see a lot of organizations combining, like a, I don't know if this is an accurate one, but like a CNN Gallup poll. So if two or three organizations go into a poll now and they can all put their name on it. Right. And that's happened even with uh, the Washington Post that now does polls with University of Maryland and and uh, NBC will do polls with Marist and so forth. So there's been a lot of merging of that too. And and again, that's because fewer organizations have the money. Well, why so, why do we even need polls, Doctor Zukin? I mean, it's sometimes the polls. It seems like, for example, in the Democratic race, you know, Hillary Clinton being way ahead in the polls makes it feel like it's not even a race. Yeah, you're you're preaching to the choir. I'm sympathetic that polls just about the horse race don't tell you any, yeah. anything that's really useful. Polls that tell you what issues are important to voters, yeah. uh, I think help guide journalists in the questions they ask. I think that uh, there's there's... There's not much value in telling you who's going to win an election ahead of time, right? And that's really driven by journalistic principles. I think the political scientists would probably, you know, point to other election systems where polls are banned a week before or a few days huh. before, and, and suggest that those societies don't actually fall apart. <laughs> yeah, that they're still okay. They're still okay. But I really like that idea too of just finding out what's what what the voters are interested in, because that would direct the candidates a little bit more. 
Well, I think that's the track Gallup is taking. They're they're basically saying we're not going to do horse race polling, but we are going to do polling on on issues and candidate tranks and how, uh, how the candidates are perceived by the public, and that's more useful information, I think, during during the campaign. But th- this all became more complicated because of some law that the telephone companies, I guess, or whatever, put in saying that you couldn't just automatic dial cell phones. Would the cost be cheaper if you could just do that then? Absolutely. And it's not the phone companies. This is the federal government. Oh, the the Telephone uh, Consumer Protection Act. And it has been in force. It's not really a new law, though it's sort of being reinterpreted now even more stringently. But we didn't worry about a prohibition that said we can't call cell phones with direct dialers when it was 6% of the public. Right, right. Now that it's 60, you obviously can't ignore that. And so that means you have to pay people to uh, make calls to numbers that don't exist and people who are ineligible. And, of course, if only 1 in 10 picks up their phone, they're doing an awful lot of dialing. And so... Um, Telephone polling probably is three times as expensive as it was eight years ago. Hmm. And so that's driven, you know, and when you increase the cost of something, you have less of it. And so one of the arguments I've been making is that there are fewer good, reliable polls out there, so we may be shakier this year. We may not. We'll have to see what happens. But certainly we want to have full disclosure with the public and tell them what's going on in our industry and and not overpromise. Yeah. And is it? I mean, let let's say that the polls were shakier, and we were we weren't having as much accuracy. What what would that do to the election? What would that? How would that impact the election? Really? Well, it could increase the false dynamic um, in the election that that would be unhealthy. So let's yeah. suppose, for example, that polls show Donald Trump and Ben Carson even but that polls in Iowa have a very hard time because only 20% are going to vote, figuring out who's really likely to go to the polls and that Carson supporters are more evangelical and more conservative, and they turn out in heavier numbers than Trump. And all of a sudden, you've got uh, journalists writing stories before the election that it's neck and neck and the candidates are even. And then after the election, Carson wins two to one, and then his campaign takes a huge springboard and yeah. comes on the defensive. And and it really was mainly because you mismeasured it at the beginning. You didn't mm. have the right number of voters. Yeah, it's like a whip. It's, it, did you ever play the, the whip game where you hang yeah. on with your friends and whoever's at the end gets really whipped? Oh, yeah. Well, it's, it's you know, polls are used to set expectations for what's going to happen. And then, then when they don't happen... You know, journalists have a new round of stories, yeah. and, it, and it changes what's discussed about in the campaign. And that way, if polling is unreliable, it's possible that it increases the chance of having sort of an artifactual story that drives the campaign rather than that's true, you know, real change. And it, uh, yeah, and then we talk about is this a mandate? It's a mandate. It's he's taking over. The numbers are out of control. I mean, right. it, what happened to Donald Trump tonight? Right, and, and Carson surges and. You know, that, that may or may not be true, but let's suppose you had that same pattern of voting, but your expectations were that Carson was going to get 40 and Trump was going to get 20. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, you, you write completely different stories coming out of Iowa. So the, the, there is, a, I guess, a danger of poll-setting expectations um, 
that turn out not to be the case. Well, and and one of the things that really was interesting to me also during the 2012 was Nate Silver. I mean, it seemed like uh, he got a lot of press, which is interesting because pollsters don't always make a lot of press, do they? But just that because some of this is you have to pick a criteria. Well, what I don't know what he I can't remember what he called it, but you have to decide who you're really going to be counting because to, to make sure your sampling is truly representative. Right. Now, what Nate Silver does and what other people do is they don't create their own polls. They're what we call polling aggregators that sift through a lot of polls and try and separate good and bad polls and then take the average of all the good polls. And so they're not really doing their own That's work. why, yeah. So, yeah, he's actually had to decide which ones he would believe and why. Right. And the other thing that, that Nate Silver and others do is to focus us quite correctly on the Electoral College rather than on the national right. vote. And so I think those two things are still useful. Now, what I would say, and, and I bet Nate Silver would agree, is that if there are fewer good polls out there, then even aggregating them is going to be less accurate than it has been in the past. Yeah. Because they're not creating new stuff. They're just working with what's out in the environment. And if what's out in the environment is of less quality, then that will show up in the aggregations as well. Well, oh, that's so interesting. And and two, and I haven't thought of it this way, let's do this. Let's take a break. But I want to come back and talk about a biased poll. I mean, some polls can be incredibly biased, and even I wonder if intentionally so. Um, and that could sway people if we're just if we keep reporting on a poll, but we're not talking about the source of the poll. Well, let's take a break. We're coming back more with Dr. Cliff Zukin out of Rutgers University, professor of public policy and political science there, and an expert in planning and public policy. Stick with us. We're talking political polls right here on the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're talking about political polling. Uh, what are you supposed to believe? What's really going on behind it? What is the purpose behind a lot of the polls? Um, one of the things that we're learning today is much of the polling really could could also be for fundraising, right? To to prove that you're a viable candidate, you got to be moving up in the polls. And uh, we're speaking with Dr. Cliff Zukin, who is. Um, he really, truly is an expert in the field, professor of public policy and political science at the Edward J. Blaustein School for Planning and Public Policy and at the Eagleton Institute of Politics at Rutgers University. He specializes in public opinion, mass media, and American politics, survey research, and research methods. So who better to teach us today than Dr. Cliff Zukin? Uh, Dr. Zukin, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Love this subject um, because there's so much I think we need to learn, and we hear almost in every newscast about the po- uh, the political um, process. We're hearing more and more about the polling. It it seems like um, if we're not careful, and I guess this is the the journalist's job is to be reporting the poll, but also the source of the poll, and even maybe the methods of the polling, right? To make sure it's not intentionally skewed. 
Yeah, we would sure love journalists to be gatekeepers. Yeah, wouldn't that uh, be and, you know, ideal? To keep, to, yeah, keep bad things out and, and only pass on good things. But uh, more and more, it, it's hard for journalists to know what makes a good poll and what makes a bad poll mm. because developments have changed so quickly in our industry. Yeah. Do you – I guess – I mean you're probably called on as a consultant to probably help uh, organize and to do polling. When Are there certain polls that you trust more – are there certain that are just so institutional, you, you know you can trust what you're seeing? Well, I think uh, Gallup and Pew have been around for a very, very long time, and they know what they're doing. Gallup was a little bit off in the last election and actually had Romney ahead, but they did a very, very thorough postmortem, and I think have corrected some of the things that they're doing. Um, so those are, I think, you know, the the better national polls out there. We don't have a lot of national polls that are around 12 months out of the year. A lot of the candidate and, and media polls come and go, of course. Mm-hmm. Do do you trust like uh, the Iowa, you know, poll? The, the, I do. Yeah, because I mean that's pretty state centric, right? That's pretty clear. Well, and the Iowa polls run by Joanne Seltzer has a very very good track record. I mean, you can you can look up these things and see how close they were in terms of. What they do, a lot of the state polls are really quite good because they know how to do their own states. Yeah. Does, uh, and so she's had so much experience trying to, to figure out who's really going to go to the caucus and who's not going to the, go to the caucus that uh, her polling has turned out to be quite accurate. So when it comes down to it, um, I guess the biggest part of this is just costs are going up. Um, are there other ways that uh, pollsters can get the same information? It is, are there – are there cheaper ways that they can can get access to the same information? Well, there are cheaper ways, but they're not as good. Uh, and by that, I mean a lot of polling is being driven to the internet, right? And online polls. And uh, there there are a couple problems with online polls. First is that not everybody's covered. Um, and even though it's it is almost everybody, say under thirty, where ninety eight percent have connections to the internet. Uh, in 2014, that was only 13% of voters, but, but 40% of those uh, over 60 or so aren't on the Internet, and they make up 22% of voters. Hmm. So there's a coverage problem, and, and it's more likely among those people who are more likely to vote. And then there's no good way for us to sample Internet addresses the way we sample telephone numbers. So what a lot of posters have gone to is what are called opt-in surveys and non-probability samples. And this is where journalists really need to be aware, because with an opt-in or a non-probability sample, you can't really compute sampling error. It doesn't apply. So so I, for example, if I'm an opt-in, then I could go to a newsletter, opt-in to take the uh, poll, answer the poll. But because I opted in, I'm already kind of biased, maybe, right? Probably. And and if I'm on the website that is maybe more conservative leaning, I might be biased in a different way. So I guess you're saying we can't, we don't know who's answering, and we don't know the quality of, uh, we don't know the neutrality of the of the contact. Yeah, and it's important that people not be self-selected. Right. Uh, I mean, that's one of the first rules of polling. When you draw a sample, you draw that sample to be representative. So that you have, you know, if if there are four percent of the population from Utah, your sample covers four percent, and if 
there's X percent in Utah and Salt Lake City, your your sample's covering that. Hmm. And so there there are ways to make it, and then you call randomly exchanges that are located in Salt Lake City, and, and that's a cardinal rule of polling is that only when you do what's called a probability sample can you make a valid inference back from that sample to the population from which it's been drawn. So yeah. there's a lot of opt-in polling now. Uh, that's non-probability, and that's one of the reasons polls were off in 2014. They were off in Britain. They were off in Israel uh, in 2015. You know, the the world has become much more populated by online surveys, and right now they are not as accurate. Oh, yeah. Man, this is really complicating your job, Cliff. <laughs> Yours, too. <laughs> it is, too. It really is. And it, I guess in the end, it's... Uh, we just we're gonna have to pay the bill. I mean, it seems like if you want quality, you're gonna to have to still go out and call more people and get more of a representative sample instead of trying to cut corners. You know, that's exactly where we are in 2016. We might have it solved, internet surveys solved by 2018 or 2020, but right now, if you want really good surveys, you need to pay a lot more, and that's that's why. You know, again, when, when things cost a lot, there tend to be fewer of them. Mm-hmm. And that's where we are right now. What can I do and, and should I? I mean, if I'm just, you know, average citizen Joe, I remember back in the day you would you would take that 10-minute phone call back in the day when they would call on Tuesday nights. And, um, and you'd do the poll. You'd answer all the questions. But you were doing it because you felt like, you know, civic duty. Do I have a civic duty to be polled? Gosh, I would think you would, but you may not. Yeah. Uh, because I know people resent polling because market research gives it such a bad name. Yeah. Uh, you know, as a pollster, I encourage people to, to respond to polls. It's a way for the public to have its voice felt and heard and, and to be injected into a discussion that's often really populated by interest groups and special interest groups. It's good to have the general public represented. Maybe that's it, though, is we, we keep hearing – maybe we keep hearing polls that are so special interest group focused that we don't se- – and they, we don't sense their results match us. So we're thinking, well, who are you polling? But they're, the special interest groups are using their polling to try to sway either you know the electorate or try to sway the politicians. Yeah, I just honestly don't think it's a question for the public of – you know, I, they're not going to have enough information. They don't. You shouldn't expect po- people to follow, have to follow politics at that level to understand which polls to respond right. to and which ones not to. I really do think it falls more on us and the scientific community and you and the journalistic community to keep bad polls out of the media environment. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I, I don't think that's a job for the public to figure out which is good and which is bad. That's right. No, I think you're right. And and in the end, too, it's um, it, it's it's so hard because. The next poll, the next latest and greatest poll, like the new CBS polls come out and everybody's jumping on it and without even probably thoroughly looking at the poll and the sampling size. And but I guess somebody, you know, CBS put their name on it, so we'll trust it. Right. And I think that's what's got to happen. I I think the media have to police themselves and not put out bad work. And that that requires them to get up to speed on changes in the industry and, and what's happened. And it may require them to open their pockets a little bit more. Yeah. You know, to do it to do it as well, and again, the media have an obligation too. Yeah. Oh, for sure. No, I mean, and especially you can see now more than ever. The, it seems like the media or certain sources are being wagged by the tail. Like it's 
the candidates now are being able or a few of them are being able to pretty much push the media any which way they want to. Well, it's always been that way. I mean, it's it, campaigns have always been about the dynamics between the pub, a triangle between the public and the candidates and the media. Mm. And sometimes that shifts from year to year. But that's that to me is not new. That's sort of the rules that have evolved out of this new system of presidential nominations that we went to uh, in the late 1960s, early 1970s. That's yeah. just the way the system works. Hey, as an expert in public opinion, mass media, and politics, just give me your take on Donald Trump. This this I is think, an incredible, it seems like, phenomenon that's going on. Yeah, I think it's sort of chickens coming home to roost in two ways. One is that, you know, most people spend their time with entertainment, TV, and TV culture. And it is, uh, we've gotten used to reality shows and that sort of stuff for years. And that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. And then the other thing about him is that both he and Bernie Sanders have topped into a great deal of anger. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's there because the political system has not been working well. The the job of the political system is to compromise. That's where value questions go to get adjudicated. Hmm. And over the last decade or so, they've been increasingly unable to do that. And so I think the public does have a right to be frustrated with the political system right now. It's not performing very well. It's it's an interesting um, dynamic. And do you do you get a sense that it's just uh, you know almost kind of a bluff right now? Like the people are just they're going to bluff until the very end when they'll choose a candidate that they might fully trust. Or is this do you continue, do you sense it'll go all the way to the uh, I election? I think it might go all the way. I think, you know, you're asking for individual you're asking for a collective rationality on individual decisions. So if people hmm. say I'm just pissed off, excuse my yeah, no. and want to vote for Trump, you know, they don't have to deal with the consequences of he could actually win because that's sort of a collective thing. Right. So I don't know. We're going to have to see how it plays out. It is. It has certainly been more interesting than I ever thought it was going to get. <laughs> well, I know, and Ted and, and Ben Carson. I mean, is uh, he's kind of the kinder, gentler rebellion vote, but it's still. I mean, he's still thriving. It seems like. Yeah. Well, we'll see how it how it turns out. My sense is that the more of Trump, the less support he'll get. I'm not sure if people are yeah. going to get tired of that show or not. And Carson, you know, has some extreme views. Yeah. Uh, you know, a serious evangelical candidate, and I'm not sure a lot of people know that. So we'll find out as more debates go on and more things happen. Um, but but it is a, a very unpredictable season right now. Oh, it sure is. Well, we appreciate your time again, Dr. Cliff Zukin from Rutgers University. Keep up the good work, and good luck trying to sort through all of the polling. Problems. You too. Thanks for the invitation to come on. You bet, Cliff. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Interesting, um, interesting stuff, isn't it? When you when you talk to the pros, it's it's still just a numbers game, right? But again, sixty percent, sixty percent of the people now are using their phones, and uh, it's costing a lot more. So if uh, at some point, if you want more accurate data, you might have to start answering your phones and being willing to take the survey. Um, you know, to lower the costs. Hmm. I don't know. I kind of like not answering my phone. So, sorry. I guess I'll I'll leave it up to everyone else. Interesting stuff. Political polling. Do you care? Does it even matter to you? We'll take a break, folks. We'll be right back. More right here on the Matt Townsend Show in just a few minutes. 
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, the political world, it's a, it is a strange world, isn't it? It's a strange, strange world because, again, you can go look at any website you want and uh, chase the news you like. If you want a little conservative bent, go to Drudge Report. If you want a more liberal view, go to uh, Huffington Post. And each will give you and deliver for you whatever you need. And you'll read the polls. I like to go to Real Clear Politics that has, you know, the kind of an average of all of the latest polls so you can kind of know what's going on there. But in the end, you're still searching, aren't you, for the information you like, the information you want. You've probably been on Facebook and seen the headlines of, uh, you know, that friends post about, you name it, the Keystone Pipeline, whatever, any political angle that they've got. But in, in the end, too, I guess, there's, there's this point in your job as a citizen where you got to also use your brain and, and find the information. You could watch the Benghazi hearings, choose your channel. In fact, uh, on the, over the news over the weekend, a lot of people were commenting about how Fox News pulled their coverage of the Benghazi trial, even though they were the Benghazi network, apparently, that would, were so – up in arms about Benghazi's uh, and, and the Obama administration's involvement, except about five o'clock, they pulled their coverage when MSNBC and CNN all kept their coverage going. So then CNN starts questioning Fox News Network, why, why are you pulling your coverage? Well, and they're like, well, we've, you know, we get ratings. We've got to go keep making money with our shows. Our shows make a lot of money. So we're going to go to our shows. Well, well, so you're saying – anyway, it turned into a, a little bit of a battle. But we might even call them microaggressions. Again, do you remember we talked about microaggressions? Microaggressions are these little kind of phrases we have. And then really interesting uh, to add a little insult to injury. You know, Donald Trump's kind of known for being anti-politically correct. Well, according to the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, they, they're, they're now tracking microaggressions. Microaggressions are little things, tiny little phrases we say, statements we make that are just kind of – they're just aggressive statements. They call them microaggression, microaggressions. And one of them that they have now called out, the university now claims that calling something politically correct has become a microaggression. You're a monster. <laughs> It's become a, a, a microaggression because it is a, it's become a way to deflect and say that people are being too sensitive and they police language. So you're not allowed to say that or you're being, you know, a, a, you're, you have microaggression. You're being aggressive um, on a micro level, which is different than being a racist on a macro level. You're just a, a micro aggressive person or you're, you're like, you know, you can come out and say something overtly racist. We call them mildly racist. They're mildly racist. Listen to this. For another one that we're not allowed to say is third world. You can't You're claim a monster. You can't claim that something is is a third world thing. To describe third world countries is a microaggression because it reinforces hierarchical attitudes towards nations around the world. Like there's a first world, second world, third world. You don't want to have a hierarchical standard. It establishes westernized countries and cultures as the standard upon which to measure national well-being or economic status because we're first world. This is the dilemma we're getting into. Even our language we don't agree on. Uh, You also cannot use the word lame uh, in reference 
to somebody who's injured, because it too is a microaggression, that ridicules and ignores the lives of amputees. Okay? The language. So how do you get ahead? You can't. The words, the words are even becoming microaggressions. You may not even think of it as an aggressive way. You just thought it was a term. No. So you've, not, you've got to get very well informed and understand the will and intent of every other human being on earth and then speak carefully. Even questioning the polls is probably a microaggression. Talking about Hillary Clinton's birthday, 68 years of age, it's probably a microaggression. You're a monster. I know. Shouldn't have brought it up. Anyway, we'll take a break, my friends. Uh, More next hour right here on The Matt Townsend Show. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, doing what we can to give you the tools you need to grow healthier, happier lives. Top of the morning to you. It's Monday, folks. Ah, a whole new week to change your life. Some of you are just trying to stay alive, aren't you? Well, just think of it this way. You're going to work to make some money. So you can pay off your bills, get ready for Christmas, you know, celebrate life. Do you wish you had more money? Well, today in a few minutes, we'll have our guest, Jordan Page, will be joining us. Uh, She'll be talking to us about fun, cheap, or free, giving us some insight into how you can save money, pay off your debt. She's the queen of frugal, folks. And she's going to be joining us in in just a few minutes to tell us about uh, how she and her husband were able to pay off. um, Basically, they were able to use half of their income. They they paid off their debt that equaled half of their annual income. And they did it in a year. Fast. It can happen. Anyway, we'll talk about it. And uh, we're going to be giving you more tools, information to live a healthier financial life, or you could just do what uh, we're finding in the headlines uh, at a Walmart in Gloucester County when a shoplifter brazenly stole iPhones from a Walmart, right? He's trying to be inconspicuous, and he goes into a Walmart, and as he's (laughs) he whistled through the whole thing. He grabbed a suitcase a roller bag from the Walmart, inside the Walmart. Then he went to the cell phone cabinet and he dumped 32 iPhones into the suitcase. Then he slowly proceeded to the checkout where he paid for the luggage. But you don't pay by the pound. So nobody knew he had taken 32 iPhones. And now they're looking for him. Can you believe that? He whistles a lot, Ben. Well, it was a stressful situation, I'm sure. Is that is that how he gets rid of his stress? I guess so. He's de-stressing by whistling. When I steal 20 iPhones, I, I generally whistle through the whole thing. Man. You'd be hard to steal stuff with because everyone would be thinking, look, that's, it's the guy that's whistling. 
So anyway, they are on the lookout for him. The Williamstown, New Jersey store, it's down 32 iPhones. And he's not the only one uh, that's stealing stuff. A man and a woman stole jewelry from an art gallery and then left the woman's name and number in the guest book. Oh, Megan O'Hara, 24. David Ziskowski, 19, were both arrested on Sunday by the Palm Beach Police Department. Police say O'Hara and Ziskowski walked into the art gallery in Palm Beach, took a bracelet and a ring belonging to the exhibition's owner and artist. The artist said his jewelry was sitting on the desk in the gallery, and that combined, the, the two combined, had a cost of $6,000. He gave police a description of the pair, and one officer noted that he had seen the duo hanging around uh, Palm Beach when confronted. O'Hare told police that she had the items in her purse. She gave the officers the ring and the bracelet, and subsequently she and Ziskowski were arrested. As the officers arrived back at the gallery, the artist said that he had noticed something in his gallery's guest book. Someone had written multiple fake email entries into the guest book, including the woman's name, phone number, and fake email. We didn't take it at gmail.com, according to the rest report. Total lightweight. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Very stupid. You can't be just boom, boom. Total control. Bing, <laughs> bing, bong, bong, bing, bing, bing. You know what that is. Right? Totally. You know the little bing, bing, bing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love you very much. Thank you. And obviously, Donald Trump's against it. You can't. You can't do that. If you're going to be a thief... You don't be entering anything into the email account or you can't hang around the boardwalk in California. You can't do it. It's going to get in trouble. Um, Anyway, today, by the way, uh, is Howl at the Moon Day. So of all the days to howl at the moon, today's the day to make that happen. It's also National Pumpkin Day. Strange. It's Halloween this week, too, right? It is strange, and it is Halloween this week. And did you see Ben's costume, though? I think it's fantastic. It's tight. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, he's he's a superhero. Is it tight, or is he just too big for it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, they only had the costume I wanted in the child section. Okay. So it is a little tight, but right. I, I've been losing weight, so I think it, it works out fine. He's um, Okay, motivation. I see. He's He's had body goals. <laughs> He's gonna lose some weight. Yeah. So I, I need to lose about fifty pounds by Friday or Saturday. Oh, you'll you'll be fine. Yeah, that's healthy. You'll be fine. Good luck with that. <laughs> fifty pounds by Friday. I, I'm sure we will find a way between now and then to help you lose fifty pounds. Anything going on in the headlines that we need to worry about? There are a strong earthquake. Northern Afghanistan shook buildings from Kabul to New Delhi or Kabul to Delhi, cutting power and communication in some areas, causing more than one hundred deaths mainly in Afghanistan and Pakistan. A 7.5 magnitude earthquake. State-run Pakistani TV says 94 people have died as a result of the uh, shaking this morning, bringing the region-wide total estimated to 129 people so far. That number will likely go up. Ben Carson passing Donald Trump last week, so Donald Trump turns his target to Ben Carson, attacking the former neurosurgeon. Trump has said that Carson is lower energy than Bush and said this over the weekend about Carson's religion. I'm Presbyterian. Boy, that's down the middle of the road, folks, in all fairness. I mean, Seventh-day Adventist, I don't know about. I just don't know about. 
Trump went on Face the Nation and said that he wasn't trying to be rude. I don't know about what that is. I'm not that familiar with it. Uh, I've heard about it, but I'm not that familiar with it. That wasn't meant to be an insult, obviously. It's just that I don't know about it. So when he says Seventh-day Adventist, what is that? That's a microaggression. He, he's not meaning it in a rude way. He's meaning it truly. He doesn't know. Yeah. Or it was a microaggression. Take your pick. He's also gone after Ben Carson and his use of super PACs that are supporting him because Trump feels that the action committees are working outside the rules in Iowa to give Ben Carson an edge. A woman faces second-degree murder charges after authorities say she plowed a car through a crowd at the Oklahoma State University homecoming parade, killing four people, including a toddler. The woman arrested after the crash, uh, arrested for driving under the influence charge, and authorities said Sunday they added four charges of second-degree murder. Police did not immediately respond to a message seeking more detail about the charges. Her attorney says that uh, he has experience with uh, people who have been um, accused of drunk driving, driving under the influence of drugs, and she didn't seem like that was the type of person that she, when he was talking with her that she was coming off of that type of a situation, but more that he was dealing with a person with mental issues. So we'll see how that story rolls out. We talked earlier this morning, eating processed meat can lead to, a, lead to bowel cancer in humans. While red meat is likely the cause of the disease, the World Health Organization experts said on Monday in findings that could sharpen debate over the merits of a meat-based diet. 22-member panel uh, put processed meats such as hot dogs and ham in a group one list, which already includes tobacco, asbestos, and diesel fumes, diesel fumes for which there is a sufficient evidence of cancer links. According to the report, the more meat you eat, the more risk of cancer that you can uh, expect to, uh, I guess it increases. The mm. ninety-five billion U.S. ninety-five billion dollar U.S. beef industry have questioned whether the evidence is substantial enough to draw the kinds of strong conclusions that the WHO panel did. In related news, over the weekend, a company called Clear Labs, using technology called Clear Foods, which uses genomic technology to analyze the world's food at a molecular level. Ingredient by ingredient. So oh they're boy. looking at exactly what all your food is made of. Yeah. They chose to look at hot dogs. Mm. The company analyzed 345 hot dogs and sausage products from 75 brands and 10 retailers, and they said they found human DNA in 2% of the samples. Oh. And in two-thirds of the vegetarian samples, they found... Human DNA? Human DNA. <laughs> Really? They're finding. 10% mm. of all vegetarian products appeared to contain actual meat. Really? So that's... <laughs> so you have 2% of all of it has human okay, DNA, so and 10% let, of the veggie stuff has meat Let me get this straight. Let me yeah, get this straight. So inside of... 10% of in, inside of hot... The, the, the content... What do we call them? The... the con, human DNA is in... 10% of the hot dogs 2%. tested. 2%. Oh, 2% of 2%. the hot dogs tested. And meat is in 10%, 10% of the vegetarian, the vegetarian options. options. Which says, but, so if you really don't want to be, if you really don't want to eat humans, yes. go vegan. Then you only eat 10% of yeah. animals. So if you, yeah, that's the way to go. Because if you don't really yeah. care about vegetarian, maybe you want to avoid. Yeah. Well, but, yeah. but really, but if, if, if you're not... So what I'm really saying, this is a tough day for hot dogs. This is a hard day, yeah. The WHO comes out and says they cause cancer. Uh. This other group comes out and says they're 2% human. (laughs) Unless it's vegetarian, then it's 10% meat. It's just Uh. a tough day for hot dogs. 
you know, and, and really, what did they ever do to you? Except, well, of course, two percent of you apparently they I did think, a lot. I think this is a microaggression against hot dogs. It could be. I think it totally is. Well, and I think it's a microaggression against cannibalism. Yeah, because somehow human DNA got in. I mean, this is scary. It's scary. I mean, we we don't want to we don't want to infer anything, but it's weird. Makes you wonder how did that happen. Well, l- l- let's help you. One way to save money: eat fewer hot dogs. Another way to save money is to listen to our next guest, Jordan Page, who will be joining us. She is a blogger um, and and an expert from the website um, Fun Cheap. Let me, I got to get it exactly right. Fun Cheap and Free. Fun Cheap. No, Fun Free or Cheap dot com. Fun Free or Cheap dot com. She's going to be walking us through. The budget word. How do you actually budget and save money? Get rid of your debt. She's going to talk about how she and her husband were able to uh, to just take just a nominal salary, cut out a lot of debt. Pretty easy stuff. She makes it sound like it's so easy. She is the queen of frugal. Join us in just a minute with Jordan Page, founder of FunFreeOrCheap.com. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you find the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, nobody really likes to use the B word, budget. Money stress weighs on Americans' health nationwide. According to a recent American Psychological Association survey, uh, you know, but luckily... We've got an amazing guest joining us today to help us decrease the stress financially and talk about frugal living. She and her husband have their own success story. They came back from a $15,000 load of debt on just a $30,000 salary. And since then, she's been sharing the tricks and tips that she's learned along the way. Jordan Page is her name. Her website is funcheaporfree.com. She's the queen of frugal, and she joins us now. Hello. How hey, are you, hey. Jordan? Oh, I'm so good. Thanks it's for having me. Good to have you here. Thank you. This so is this is a cool topic because I, I'm horrible at this. <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> it's hard. It's Why is it so hard for us to do this? Oh, It's, it's our so money. Hard. It is our money. But, you know, we all want to just focus on the glitter and sparkle and glamour in the yeah. world. And budgeting is, is really none of those things. It's but, not. You it's know, not it's, fun. It's not sexy. It's not interesting. No. Well, it's horrible. My goal is to make it so. Can you make it interesting? I, my goal is to make frugality sexy. You threw out the word. Well, I'm going to run what? with it. But I think you're going – I think if anyone can do it, it's going to be you <laughs> because it's – usually when we have somebody come and talk about money, they're always like accountants, you know, <laughs> mid-50s. Yeah, yeah. And it's – they know what they're talking about, but somehow we got to reach the younger generation. It's time. You had a $30,000 income. You were able to get rid of a $15,000 debt. Well, and that was just on credit cards. I mean, we had another, we had 10500 on a car. I mean, we were in debt. Yeah. And it, it happened on accident. I mean, we were frugal people. Right. We, you know, we, we just, we thought we were frugal. And then yeah. 
We had we call it our financial disaster. That's like the you know loving term. We right. Give it. But my husband started a business. I became a stay at home mom. We um, we built this big house and ended up not buying it. But we lost all the money we put into uh. it. Everything happened at once. And before you knew it, we were making zero dollars, yeah. living off of credit cards. We'd wiped out our savings, and we didn't know what to do. And I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know, there were people online who were telling me how to pay cash for a house, or how much yeah. to put into a four hundred one k. Yeah, everyone's got a pitch, right? Yeah, or telling me about a Roth IRA, which I still don't know what that is. Yeah, but no one was telling me how much to pay for groceries or how to be able to afford. You know, taking my kid to Thanksgiving Point or or like a, a like children's a mall, play place yeah. or a mall or whatever, and that's kind of why I had to step in. And so, so out. you you really wanted kind of the basic stuff. Like you weren't even thinking about getting a house for free. You were thinking about <laughs> how do I pay my bills? Oh yeah, affordably or or you know be at able all. to go yeah at all. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a big deal. So yeah. it's really I guess that's the cool part about this is it's it's frugal, but it's also the tricks are pretty basic. They're so basic. You don't have to be an investor to figure this out. In fact, I think, like you said, when I walk into a room, when people are expecting a, quote unquote, family finance and frugal living expert, they expect exactly what you said. A man, 50s, years of finance under his belt. I'm just a mom. Down home, backwoods. (laughs) I have a degree, but it was fun, but kind of pointless. That kind of thing. Not good at mental math. Backwoods. Yeah, but I figured it out. And I went through the school of the hard knocks. and, And really, if I can do it, quite literally... Quite literally, Matt, mm-hmm. anyone in the whole world can do it. And I think that's why that's I can huge. relate to an audience. That's- well, and, and again, you can't see you can't see Jordan, but she's sitting here in some um, in some camouflage pants yeah. <laughs> with an orange hunting vest. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Backwoods and a kimono, <laughs> a floral kimono. Floral hey, so talk about some of your financial tricks. What what are some things that every everyday Joe can do? Everyday mom, dad. Mm, where to begin? I mean, obviously on my side, I have thousands of ideas, but I would say one of the simplest is if nothing else in your life, yeah. take take a budget that you typically typically think of on a monthly basis, like let's say groceries, okay? Which right. I recommend as budgeting $100 per person in your family per month. That's great. So I've got a family of six, $600 a month, super That's what it's going to cost you. Okay. But instead of thinking of $600 a month, break it down. And think of it per week. So now it's $150 a week. All you have to do is think about like six days. Yeah. Maybe seven. That's all. Right. Not 30, not 31. You don't get a stack of cash and throw it on your bed and jump in it and don't know what to do. You don't get to do that. No, no. You just get a little bit of money. You will almost, you you can always stay to a budget if it's six days or seven days. Right. If you do nothing else in your whole life but do that, you will completely change. So you can't take your kids out because if you go eat a $45 meal, <laughs> you've just blown, you know, a lot of your budget. But you sure can. You, could. you sure can. You just, yeah, you'll just But the rest of the 4 days, 5 days, right. maybe even 6 days, you may need to just Stretch not go to out, Target. Just out. don't. Just right. don't even go. Yeah. We all it, we all come out spending 300 bucks on the dollar spot. But um that's one of the simple things. I also recommend having as many bank accounts as you can physically handle, at least seven. Really? No, why? Now, this sounds right? crazy to me. I know. I know. This is the best Because part. one bank account's gotten me into a lot of trouble. Okay. Seven <laughs> could really mess me up. That's the problem. That's the problem, Matt, is back in the day, it was hard to open bank accounts. Right. To deposit anything. You had to drive, take take your horse and buggy right. to the bank. Yeah. You know, now it's different. You, can, you never have to go to a bank. You can deposit things on your phone. Mint.com, you can have all your bank accounts and everything in one place. It's easy. Yeah. So think of it like a filing cabinet. If you had one drawer, you threw all your documents oh. in there. They're in there, but it takes confusing. you forever. It's right. confusing. 
We're talking like multiple filing folders, and that's the difference. It's all there. It's just organized. My husband and I have about 20 accounts. Do you really? <laughs> so you, you'll like take your check or the, the money coming in, and you'll put so much into each account depending yes. on what the account's for. Yeah, we have an account for saving up for Christmas. We have an account for health um, health expenses. Uh, my husband has an account to cover you know, what he pays for on a month. I have one to cover mine, which is groceries and yeah. kids stuff or whatever. We have an account for kids' college. We have business accounts because we have several businesses. Yeah. We have um, a fun money account that is, we call it our slush fund. We cannot touch it for anything except for fun. We have Multiple savings accounts, a couple checking accounts. That's great. It's super, super organized. Do they all have cards associated with them, credit card or, or debit cards associated with you them? You know, some do, but really we have like one – I have like one debit account for yeah. my personal account and then a credit card that I use. Then we have like a family credit card that we pay our mortgage and all yeah. the things off of. So sure, maybe the cards are there, but they're they're actually in a filing cabinet. We never right. really use them. But you use, you use mint.com then to, oh, to watch yes. your accounts. Yes. So and then you easy. can move everything back and forth, all right? Oh, can you yeah. – oh, you, online oh, banking. Yeah. You can go move all the accounts, move the money where you need it. My husband literally does our banking on his cell phone. Like I can't even t- – he doesn't even know what a bank looks like. He hasn't walked into one in years and it just – he pays bills with his phone. He watches our investments. I mean it's just it's so amazing. So, so that's what's interesting. Use technology yeah. to your benefit. Right. And you know your parents may do it one way. But times have changed. Times, I mean, yeah, they could never have done it on a cell phone, no. and even today they probably can't do <laughs> the it big on a cell brick phone. That That's right. Like, you remember those? Can you hear me now? Yeah, those big, big bricks. You have a rule called the seventy percent rule. Oh, this what is, is that? Okay, are you sitting yeah, down? Yeah, I Matt, am. You're sitting I've got to be. Yourself. Okay, I actually heard a, a similar concept from a family blog called Seventy One Toes. Funny name, but it, it was a great idea, and we kind of realized, oh, we do that, we do that, and we developed it, uh, perfected it, and now what I say is. Whatever you bring home and deposit into your bank account, live off of 70% of that. That includes your mortgage, your groceries, hmm. Target, and everything That's a great in between. Rule. 10% goes to tithing, or yeah. if you choose not to tithe, you can invest it, and then 20% into savings. And that's it. No matter how much money you make, whether you're in an abundance phase of life or whether you're scraping by, you always know. So, for example, my husband and I, um, we saved up, bought a house, moved in, had all of our finances in order, everything to a T. Bam. He had to take a 40% pay cut. Ugh. Just one day to the next, yeah. life happens. We knew exactly what to do. We just cut out what we needed to to fit into that Get percentage. Get down to the 70%. And it's so simple. You never have to redo your budgets again. It's more just shifting. Yeah, I guess it's income in. You might, yeah, you might have to cut some stuff back. But if it's 70% and you pay 10%, let's say, a tithe to your church or to donations, charitable donations, mm-hmm. then you're just saving 20%. And I say 10% of that into an emergency fund that you never touch, ever. I mean, we have it in an online bank that takes three days just to pull it out if we wanted to. That's like if we're about to lose our house. Yeah. But then the other 10% into a savings account that you use to save up for a new car, a new couch, Disneyland, whatever. And then no matter what you're doing, you're always set. You always have money for whatever it is you need. Oh, see, that's, that's just easy. See, that's what people want is give me the number. Easy. I can do that. Yeah, so easy. Give me a number. Um, and then – but – so then when he lost 40 percent of his income, you had to go in and cut stuff. We did. I call it going to the ranch. If you watch The Biggest Loser, um, it's a show where people lose weight on yeah. TV and hope to earn money. 
and um, they go to the Biggest Loser Ranch, and they basically live <laughs> off of lettuce and water, and they work out six hours a day. And it's only for a few months, yeah. but that's how they lose 100 pounds in three months, right? So sometimes you have to go to the ranch. You yeah. may have to live off of Top Ramen right. and you know, name like no-name brand Cheerios. Right. But it's only for a short time to get you back on track and then you can slowly work. And if you are in – if you, like you, if you have a home you're paying for that you can't really get rid of that payment, then right. you might have to go to your emergency fund and, and get a little stopgap to or figure s- out what you're going to do. <laughs> or sell your house. Yeah. We sold our car. Like when we were in our financial disaster, we were only making $30,000 and we had fifteen grand on credit cards. Oh. We paid it off in one year, 13 months because we sold our car. We, my husband walked to work and I stayed home with the baby. We sold our couches. I literally had a birthday party and we laid blankets out in the living room and How played. How zen though. That seems so. It was, it was really great. Lit some candles. Did you a little. You could do some yoga. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bring your mat. Yeah. You know, it was rough, but it took one year yeah. and then we were done. And then you're back and at then it. And then we were getting back at it. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's going to happen, it seems like, to everybody, right? Somebody's going to, you're going to have an emergency somewhere. Yeah. I mean, everybody. You just have to be willing to do what it takes. One thing we said, it was a twist off of Dave Ramsey's quote that we we gave ourselves five years. We said, let's live for five years like nobody will. Let's be embarrassing. Let's be embarrassed for five years. And then for the rest of our lives, we'll be able to live like no one else can. It took us one, one year. It's amazing. Two years, we built back our savings. Three years, we were able to get into a dream home, Dream home, obviously for yeah. pennies on the dollar. But. We, but live embarrassingly. I mean, I live embarrassingly every day. <laughs> but we're not getting ahead. That's the problem. <laughs> That's it. I love that you said that. My thing is let's not just get by. Let's yeah. not tread water for the rest of our lives. Do what it takes to get ahead. Yeah, you want to get ahead. And then then you can relax. We, we went on a walk last night. So my daughter, my oldest child, is about to have a grand, a baby, my grandchild, oh. my first grandchild. So now we walk around the neighborhood. We were walking with her, trying to induce labor. Yeah, <laughs> stepping up on the yeah. curb. We were like up on the up curb. We were like doing a little uh, parkour everywhere <laughs> off of buildings. I can only imagine. And um, the, the whole time I'm looking at like retirement homes. Like, oh, that would be a perfect grandparents' home. Just sure. a nice little rambler, simple. Mm-hmm. And um, but then I start thinking, yeah, but then I want, oh, I'd love another place here. And then, so you need money. An RV. Yeah, I want an RV. <laughs> My own island. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, I'm not asking much. Plus, I'm going to need surgery and other procedures <laughs> done. Uh, we're speaking with Jordan Page from the website funcheaporfree.com. She's in the studio with us live, uh, dressed like a hunter. <laughs> I'm saying that because you, you said you're backwoodsy. That's right. You're That's really right. not. But uh, she's teaching us how to be frugal and how to balance our finances and to do it in a simple way. You don't have to have a Ph.D. in statistics or in finance to make this happen. We'll come back. More ideas from Jordan Page, the queen of frugal, right here on The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Everybody to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us in studio, Jordan Page from the website FunCheapOrFree.com, and Jordan is here with us. Uh, she's teaching us how to how to budget. For heaven's sakes, that horrible word that nobody knows how to do, except you. <laughs> I don't know. I I did not major in finance. I am no that's better finance expert, but. 
I but you're practical. Yes, I graduated summa cum laude from the School of the Hard Knocks. That's good. Yeah, (laughs) you had a good beat down. That's right. She's the queen of frugal. Uh, By the way, I'm not. We won't drop names, but she's on her way to L.A. to go hang with some big famous people. I guess. I guess. Check my social media and I'll blast about it. If you go to fun or fun Fun, cheap. cheap or free, yeah, cheap. You're not cheap. You know what? I'm changing the name of cheap. I'm totally cheap. I'm cheap, but I'm not a cheapskate. That's good. I will give you good gifts, but I got them on sale. (laughs) Yeah, you got them on sale at a discount store. I I won't skimp. I mean, I'll certainly get a good deal, but I will give you good value. I'll be a good friend. I'll bring you dinner. It it may have been from discount groceries. That's great. Who cares? It's the food we're going to eat anyway. You've been on TLC, Today.com, Lifehacker. You're everywhere. You know what? It's been fun. I think, again, like we were talking about, um, my goal – so I started my blog actually and I named it Fun, Cheaper, Free because I was going to do what everybody else did and post like coupons and deals and little fun things to do. I did it for like a month and hated it. I I wanted to jump off a bridge and I was about to delete my blog and my husband said, well, don't don't delete it. I mean why did you even start it in the first place? I thought about it and I was like, you know, I – I want to help people like we've been able to help ourselves. It doesn't seem fair that we all have to figure it out on our yeah. own. No one talks about this stuff. Right. So I did. I decided my goal is to talk about the stuff no one will talk about. I talk about when we fight about money. That's I talk great. about what we pay for our house, what I pay for a babysitter, which is like saying how much you weigh. Yeah. People do not that, yeah, you talk don't, about Don't that. they really? No, oh, the babysitter word, price? Never. It's like Why? unspoken. That seems crazy. We'll, we'll talk about anything. The mistakes that's we great. made, the debt we have. And I think that's when people start listening. Yeah. Because that's like, what you, we all want. Oh, you're about. like me. Yeah. You're messed up. Yeah, totally messed up, and I am fine to talk about it. <laughs> I will be the dummy. It really is. It's a website, funcheaperfree.com, but it's it's a website that gives you ideas. It's not just – it's it's full of information. You know, it's it's fun because we're in the trenches just with everybody else. Yeah. We're, we're – you know, and that's what it is is I'm just kind of talking about what we're doing, if it works or if it doesn't, and – Hey, you know, maybe this will work for you. And so far it's worked for hundreds of thousands of families. What What do you do? Okay, here's a question for you. If if um, if I'm a price matcher, <laughs> but I'm not very good at it. Like the coupon thing drives me crazy. My wife's really good at it, but it always seems like we pay more. I – people are shocked to know that I am quite anti-couponing. Are you really? I respect people who do it. Yeah. I just think it's kind of nuts. Well, you, I, you've got to be – yeah, you've got to be – you've got to have a PhD. You pretty much do. And gold-plated scissors. And spend your entire life doing it. You know, but if you want 40 boxes of free tampons, like, I think that's well, great. But I, honestly, who doesn't, Jordan? <laughs> For me, I tend to be a little more efficient and practical. Yeah. I've got four kids. My oldest is five. I ain't got time for that. Yeah. So I like to... Just focus on what's on sale, yeah. and that's it. If you do that, you will save half on your groceries. Most people go to the store a couple times a week, buy what they want to eat that night for dinner. You're paying two times more right. than you should be or more. So what I say is look at the ads, the junk mail you throw away. Look at the front page and the back page, and that's it. The middle is just fluff, fluff. to make it look thicker. Yeah. Whatever is on sale that week, if it's ground beef, make tacos. If it's chicken, make crock pot chicken and rice, whatever. Yeah. Focus on what's on sale. Plan your meals around it and then go to the store one time per week. That's great. No matter what. If you run out of milk, that's right. eat toast, oh, not that's cereal. It. No, we that happens. And yes. my kids think they're starving. They are. <laughs> no. And then we show them YouTube <laughs> videos from other countries yeah. and they're like, no, this isn't bad, Dad. Yeah, no kidding. And and truly, it's that simple. But I do like price matching. Do if you? you're lucky enough to live next to a Walmart, specifically those little neighborhood ones, uh-huh. those are the best. And they'll take, they'll let you take the best prices from anywhere and match Just them. Just match at it one right store. there. Otherwise, 
choose your favorite store that's, that has the best deals that week. See, price matching, that's easy because then but you got to find the one store, store that will match everyone. Or if the best deals are at Kroger or Safeway or Smith's, yeah. then just go to that one store and, and say, okay, I totally need ground beef and refried beans and whatever. So I'll choose this. Okay, I got store. a question for you. All right. Lay it on me. Do you have to claim income if you earn a lot of money with Kohl's cash? <laughs> Kohl's cash can be a beautiful thing. Does My, your does yeah. your wife mm-hmm. totally work? We with Kohl's are self made millionaires on Kohl's, Kohl's cash. I bet. I bet your clothes you're wearing right I, now. Actually, this shirt, to... this jacket that says Brigham Young University came from TJ Maxx. No. $10. Oh, you know what? We uh, yeah. are soulmates. The rest of my clothes are probably from Kohl's. Probably so. And paid with Kohl's cash. Free and money. Your wife is a genius. She's she a genius. sounds like we'd be best friends she, because you'd love the her. couponing and the Kohl's cash, all she's doing is taking advantage of things that are already out They're there. They're there. She's not reinventing the wheel. Right. She's not taking out you know a loan to go back to school to figure this out. She's just managing her money based on what's already out Which there. Which is really – that's what's hard about this is I mean if you're working a full-time job that's why the website could be very helpful uh, fun cheap or free because then you can just you know during the day <laughs> while you're at your work you can go read ways to save money put my YouTube videos on mute and listen with an earbud and your it. boss will never know no it's it's just you know it's it's not rocket science and I think that's what people are most shocked by yeah. it's just simple it's the one two five and ten dollar decisions that'll lead to a life of of success or not. It's not the $500 decisions. Those right. are easy. It's the little day-to-day decisions yeah. that'll make the difference. How do I – so like let's say we do take a hit. I've, I lose 30 percent of my income. How do I go in and reprioritize? How do I reevaluate what my values are really? Because some of these things seem like they're essential. Yeah. Oh, man. But they may not be. Priorities. That is the key word, isn't it? Yeah. My goodness. We look on Facebook and we see – People buying boats, people at Disneyland again. Yeah. People, you know, g- going on going to some the latest games. Thing. They travel to the next BYU game or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Court seats at the Jazz, yeah. and they think, "Oh my gosh, I scrimp and save. Like we can never make enough money. I don't know what I'm doing. I give up everything good in my life." Well, if you stop, I work. At, I work with families. We go back and look at their finances. They're eating at you know Cafe Rios and McDonald's and everything else. Five, six, seven days a week. Yeah. McDonald's is keeping you from Disneyland. It's wow. the little decisions. So what you need to do is I say it's about sacrifice. Yeah. It's giving up something good but for something really great. So focus on a great life. Prioritize what's great, what you really want, and then give up all the good. It's yeah. not really giving up that much. It's actually gaining quite a well, bit Well, and more. some would question if you know certain restaurants are good. <laughs> but uh, like, according to the hot dog thing you just talked about, exactly. I'm never eating ever again. It's got human DNA. Forget it. I'm so, not, and by the way, we it. found out too that vegan does too. So either way, Ugh, doesn't I'm matter good. what you're eating. You're somehow eating human DNA. I'm just going to grow my own vegetables and then just live off of it. But that. I'm pretty – I'm convinced that human DNA that's in the hot dogs and the rest of our food, it's just hair <laughs> from, from our spouse. I'd rather not know that. <laughs> so if your husband's losing hair or if your wife sheds hair – it's hair. The circle of life, man. The circle of life. You're big, though, in also making a budget, like a big, huge annual budget. Do you do that or do you just start with a week? Well, I mean, again, I know you started with a month, I guess. And yeah. I believe work it back. firmly in planning one year in advance. Wow. Um, right around January, my husband and I, we go to a restaurant that takes forever, like Cheesecake Factory, where you're in line for an hour and a half just to get in and then it takes you three hours to eat. And we bring our laptops. We're those people. Yeah. Oh, I've we seen We bring you guys. our papers. We do all that. And we just sit down until they kick us out of the restaurant. And we just 
plan out our year. Okay, what vacations do we want to take this year? Are we going to go anywhere for Christmas? Um, how much are we going to spend on anniversaries? Are you going to do Valentine's Day or am I doing Valentine's Day? Are you doing anniversary mm-hmm. or am I doing it? Um, and we just kind of like block out our year. And then, of course, when the when each month comes, we sit down and kind of plan more thoroughly month to month. So that's about as far as we go. And then in terms of planning out money, try – look at the smallest dollar amount you can handle. Yeah. So – you know, a week at a time is great. One month at a time, maybe. But don't try to think like, okay, this year yeah, we're a... only going to spend five thousand on gas. Yeah, good luck. Yeah, you're never going to manage. Well, and that. and how do you? So uh, this year, five thousand in trips or vacations. It's hard. What, what's interesting how you're doing it is it almost sounds like anything's possible. Then oh. I am living, breathing proof of that, which is why TLC and the Today Show and Inside Edition, they were fascinated with my life. We live in literally a million-dollar house that we pay $1,300 a month for. Wow. We, we you know, paid off our credit cards making, like, no money. We're self-employed. I mean, all the stacks are against us, but we're living an amazing life because of prioritizing, yeah. because of simplifying, and because of really focusing on things that can't be ripped out from under us, like a house that we built and lost, or mm. credit cards that mean nothing. We really try to focus on what really brings true happiness, and then just living within our means. That's huge. Thank you. Yeah, I don't know. Really? Some, it really is a, and it, simple. And it, and it works, and I like the proactive sense of it, because you're not just reacting, and you know, you're not getting into the boo-hoo story where you can't have what you want. Because you can. You just have to plan. You can absolutely have what you want. It's a matter of prioritizing, and delayed gratification is a huge one. So I wanted an iPad so bad. We were making like $1,000 a month and had debt. There was no way we were going to get an iPad, right? But I wanted one, and so we learned to say, how can I afford it instead of we can't afford it? So how can we afford it? Well, you know, we we did end up selling – my husband sold his old TI-83 calculator from 1990-something for 50 bucks. Okay, you're getting closer. I know. But actually, he went to this business convention and entered every contest. There were 4,000 people there. He entered every contest and won me an iPad. Holy cow. And it took him like an hour. You know, he had to do all these things and take – pictures and tweet them and all, but he won an iPad. And then, you know, he wanted a mountain bike. He sold his old guitar amp from high school. We sold an old chair we weren't using and he got himself a mountain bike. So you just have to get a little scrappy, little entrepreneurial. And next thing you know, you start thriving instead of just. Well, and you're also getting rid of stuff as you go. You're not just compiling and just adding and and getting more stacks of stuff. You're Which, getting rid of stuff. I'm a bit of a hoarder. I yeah, mean, yeah. we do not lack in our house. My my closet is a joke. I have pictures and tours of our house. You would never believe it. We have a lot of stuff. Granted, we got a lot of it at yard sales or it was hand-me-downs yeah. or we traded, bartered, uh, buy scratch and dent from That's great. You know, Ashley Furniture or RC Willie or whatever. And uh, we have everything we could ever want. Wow. That's actually good news. Because, you know, we all want more and there's ways to get it. You just have to be willing to stand in line for hours. But we but we can live on nothing if we need to. Yeah. We've done it before and we were happier in a sense. Yeah, no, The totally. happiest time of my life is when we had nothing and we had to cook dinner at home together. We, we like played Uno as a date night on yeah. the kitchen table and that was so fun versus dropping 50 bucks for dinner in a movie, which is kind totally. of a cop-out date or whatever. You or know. just taking your laptops to dinner and not talking but working on your budget. Hey, you know what? 
one of the best dates we do all year. What can but I really, say? But I think that's brilliant because couples don't do that. Well, and think you ahead. have to do it at a restaurant because then you won't cry or that's throw right. things You can't at each fight. Other. That's right. I tell people once a month you need to go on a date to a public place, and that's where you talk about money because you it. won't yell at each other. We teach skills to do that, and then we even, te- we even set it up so you can go to dinner and do it. Yes, publicly. I believe that. I had to once excuse myself and go to the car, and I had a good cry in the car, and then I came back, <laughs> and it was good. It was healthy. Uh, but anyway, we, we try and, not to talk about money at home. Oh, that's great. Well, then, see, those are great. Then great we things. want to kill each other. Give us one more tip on the way out. What's, what would you say, Jordan, is if there's one thing, just the one thing that makes the biggest difference financially to getting ahead for a couple? That's hard. Oh, for a couple. When I, and I've talked about lots of things. So in terms of throwing out a new tip, it's Okay, think of the most successful company you can think of or the United States. You don't have two vice presidents or two presidents because you'd kill each other. You'd step on each other's toes. So why do you think that would work in your marriage? You have to divide and conquer and work for the same team, but get off each other's toes. Yeah. We went through, highlighted, this is mine, that's yours. I'll pay for school fees. You pay for piano lessons. I'll pay this bill. You pay that bill. We don't do anything together, but we do it on the same team. We almost never fight about money anymore. That's we great. divide yeah. and conquer. Well, that's brilliant because then you are working independently. He's independent, but you're working together. There's autonomy. He does it his way. I do it my way. As long as it's done, just get it done. Yeah, and we sit down and we make decisions together. Yeah. But we're not stepping on each other's toes. We're not both fighting over the same thing and ignoring five other things right. in the process. It's all getting done. It's all getting done our way. Yeah, because we're both kind of stubborn. Yeah, and we're just happier. You know, and it works. Jordan Page, holy cow. See how easy that is? It's just that easy. It's Listen, simple. It is. And it's fun and it's cheap or free. Go to That's the website, right. funcheaperfree.com, where you can get videos, everything you need, tons of information, uh, beauty tips. In fact, you got it. Looking good. It's all there. It's all there. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break. Go check out the website, funcheaperfree.com. We'll be right back. More tools, more ideas right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, it's interesting uh, when it comes to money and communication, we really struggle at times, don't we? Talking, talking about our money. There's so much power involved with it, control. So if, in, in your relationship, if you have a uh, controlling partner or, you know, if the source of your identity is your money, boy, there's a lot of crazy uh, arguments that can come from that. Um, one of the things, too, you can do is if you need to work on your finances, we, we could always work on the saving part, right, the budgeting part. But another thing that I wonder we, if we might want to do, too, is focus on the income part. Sometimes we're just flat out underemployed. And, you know, with the economy tanking a few years ago and, and the struggles of that, a lot of people went out and retooled their careers. In fact, many went and were re-educated. But there are some jobs that you can get that uh, that they're great jobs that also give you a life outside of um, the workplace. So if you're in a, a kind of a dead-end job, one that you're overworked and you feel like you, you need more space, let me just run through a list. Uh, this comes from businessinsider.com. 
where some careers that might uh, give you a little bit more work-life balance. A few of them, for example, um, front-end developer on a on a website. You develop the part of the website that, that users interact with. They make an average salary of $75,000, and they have a fairly good work-life balance. Um, lab assistants. Um, a lab assistant, usually you're probably done. You know, once you're once you're done, you're done. You're not going to spend all day uh, working in the lab. Um, you have about a, uh, an average brand new lab assistant is going to make about $27,550. A couple of other jobs, content manager, uh, $60,000, almost $61,000 a year. That's where you write, edit, proofread website content. You're going to manage the content website, uh, the website content, which is interesting because uh, Jordan that was just here has a robust website and she has to manage it and she's doing all of the work on it and all the ad sells. And um, you notice they're, they're making an income. She's a stay-at-home mom, but they're making money on um, their site as well. Uh, some other stuff, a program analyst makes about $71,000 a year. They, they're the ones that make improvements to operations and procedures in businesses. Uh, a couple of others that are just interesting. Web designer makes about $54,000 a year. These are all jobs that were deemed as having a really good work-life balance. Some of those that actually have are more balanced to even a better life, um, marketing assistant, they uh, have a rating out of 1 to 5 of the 3.8 on the work-life balance scale. They make about $33,000 a year. There's jobs out there, and if, if you don't like your job, if you're stressed, if it, if it seems to not be creating the kind of freedom that you want, maybe it's time to go be reevaluated and to go see and to go do a little in-depth review of your life. One thing I suggest to a lot of my clients when I'm coaching them is every university, every college, every trade school, they all have counselors that are there to help you take assessments, to do evaluations, to find out what you what you'd be good at doing. So Go take care of those free resources and take advantage of those free resources and see what you need to change. Take some assessments, find out what you're good at, find out what you need to work on and make some changes. Because if you're not liking your life, um, you know, more money might be the only way you can medicate yourself is, is buying stuff and, you know, trying to numb yourself to death. So anyway, look into uh, that. We'll, we'll post this article up on our Twitter page at Dr. Matt Show to just give you more tools, more ideas there. We'll take a break, my friends, doing what we can to give you the tools you need to grow a healthier, happier life. We'll have more next hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show, the, uh, the, the place where you can come. And get the latest research, the information you need to grow healthier, happier lives, to live longer, to love stronger. That's what we're about today. In fact, today we are, yes, we are answering the question about hot dogs. 
Do they actually contain human DNA? 2% human. (laughs) Ooh, you startled people. Yeah. 2% of the hot dogs tested contain human DNA. And then two-thirds of the vegetarian option had DNA from humans in it. Wow. So really, the vegetarian option potentially could be... I was going to say more cannibalistic, but it really could. It does contain more human DNA than just the hot dog. According to the study. Mm. Hot dogs. Does a body good. And then we find out that processed meats, as has been talked about for quite a while, but this is the first time anyone's actually come out really strong saying it causes cancer. Who who said it? Who? No! No! (laughs) Who? The World Health Organization has basically put all processed meats on the list of carcinogens. Now, uh, the BBC just ran a little interview clip, Yeah, and one of the researchers said, now, we're not asking for something foolish like a warning label on a hot dog. Yeah, we already know it contains human DNA. For people who eat hot dogs or processed meat at high rates, you're opening yourself up for further problems, whereas if you eat things in moderation, you should be fine. See, the principle's always been moderation. What is the big deal? So, but the question is, Matt, for you, when it comes to hot dogs, uh, I don't, yeah, what not, is moderation? I'm not a hot dog guy. Really? Well, ever since I heard they contain yeah. human DNA, I thought, eh, I could get the same thing by just eating my wife's hair. Right. Or chewing mm. on your finger or something. Chewing on my finger. But in the end, I think maybe that's it. So maybe, that, that would be 100% human DNA versus yeah. 2% in hot dogs. If it's dogs, my so. finger, I'll, you know, it's my DNA. You just put your finger <laughs> in a hot dog bun and... <laughs> it's so... It's gross. so gross. So gross. I mean, and in so many ways. By the way, today is uh, National Pumpkin Day. Th- those you can eat all you want. And I'm worried. I always get worried the day after... Halloween, there's pumpkin carnage everywhere. Just in the streets. Yeah. Kids are out. It's like, what did these pumpkins do to you? Breaking out pumpkins. It's also uh, Howl at the Moon Day. And if you saw the moon today, I saw it driving to work, and it was incredible. Huge. Huge. I walk out my front door and go, oh, look, the moon. And then I go get in my car and drive to work. Ah, Just just the moon. Just the moon. Did you hear the whole um, what's going on in Ohio? This is why we need more infrastructure. Focus on infrastructure. Yes. The Main Street Bridge in Ohio's capital might appear to be decked out for Halloween, but officials say the extensive webs spotted by motorists at night are real. The Columbus Dispatch reports the $60 million bridge connecting downtown Columbus to Franklin Town. Oh, don't do that. They're running everywhere. This is actual sound from the bridge. It reports, though, that the bridge is infested with thousands of web-spinning spiders oh. of different varieties. Ohio State Professor David Shetler specializes in... Wow. That guy is moving across my ears with the yeah. the sound. That's a good job there. Good yeah. job there, Ben. They're, they're in your car now if you're yeah, driving. they're crawling around the backseat. Apparently, though, David Shetler, who specializes in urban landscape entomology and estimates oh. the bridge has 5,000 to 10,000 spiders. What was that? Don't ask what that was. That was somebody. It's like the, the spider going down. bared its flying fangs and came at you. There's ten thousand spiders in that thing. Ten thousand. Holy cow! Now they're saying there was some insect uh, abatement type situation that might have driven the insects to hide, and they hid under the bridge, and so the spiders moved to where the food is. That's right. And 
There you go. See, so the yeah, because they they moved the insects. They sprayed from the on the trees and the trees and the plants. They were spraying all the trees and plants, so they all I guess moved to the higher ground, the bridge. Whoops. And now, so now they the need to clean out the bridge, and you don't want to clean out all the spiders. You just oh. need to clear them out of where they're at. You know what? We had a tragedy um, at our house. Oh, I mean, tragedy might be a big word for it. Um, but we found another mouse. Oh, see, so the mice are moving indoors. Yes, it's getting cold, and it's let's just say it, it's not a happy home when Mrs. Townsend finds a mouse in the kitchen. No. And I mean, like, it's very, very stressful. Understood. <laughs> very stressful. But we've got traps everywhere. But I think our mice are smarter than that. They're like, no, I'm not falling for that. No. You have other sources of food that they find yeah. more appealing. And then the other thing that we've got, which is just as problematic, is we have five boys living mm. at home. The and, source of food, yes. And they, Exactly. And they all like to play tricks on their mother. So I have a stressed wife and five boys that are thinking it's pretty funny to, like, move stuff. So my wife will, like, get it set up exactly how she wants it, and then they'll move – my kids will, like, move the mouse trap around, you know. Growing up, my, my grandmother <sighs> lived in Idaho. Yeah. And kind of in a farming community. So, you know, mice are around and yeah, you deal with them. just a mouse. There were traps. So we'd go by and you'd see a trap and we'd have to touch it to see if we can get our finger out of the way before it snapped. <laughs> I always did. I think one of my cousins got caught once, but yeah, we helped him. But it was always unnerving because my you have the hard sort of linoleum floor. Oh, you could hear the and you'd hear the little finger, the little claws as they go across the floor, and you're just watching TV, Mickey Mouse Club, little kids. You're hanging out, and all of a sudden you're like, because you you, you'd look out and it would stop and like turn its head and look at you down the hallway, and you're like, like, yeah, you can't catch me. As a kid, that really creeped you. Yeah, that's pretty creepy. But, you know, as, why don't you sick your boys after the, the mice? I would. I would. Did you see the dogs? They're sicking terriers. People in New York are going after the, oh, the rats. The rats. The rat and they're problem. taking groups of terriers out, and the oh, terriers yeah. are hunting the rats. Right. The the, the dog. The, well, like brigades. the little purse dogs, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, which is, that's a fair fight for a rat. Yeah. And those dogs are basically rats. Yeah. <laughs> but the same Shaved, size. Bald rats. <laughs> yes, they are. Anyway, crazy, crazy news. Uh, Let's get to the headlines, find out what Terry's got for us. Thanks, Matt. In a pullout Sunday from CBS, Donald Trump and Ben Carson tied among Republican voters in Iowa, 27% each. In other polls, Trump has as much as, or uh, Carson has as much as an eight-point lead. In an interview on Face the Nation, Trump was confused by the latest numbers out of Iowa. Well, I don't understand Iowa because, frankly, I just left and we had tremendous crowds and tremendous enthusiasm. And frankly, even to be tied, I'm a little surprised. Trump uh, attributes Carson's rise in Iowa to the super PAC operations backing Ben Carson in the state, which he attacks as running Iowa for him. They're not supposed to do that. No. It's supposed to be the candidate running or out there campaigning, not his super PAC. So we'll see what happens there. Tea Party is learning that... Uh, flavor is a fickle mistress. That is a weird worded thing I wrote. While supporting for political movement has peaked at 32% in November 2010, when it was credited for helping Republicans pull off a 63-seat pickup in the House, a new Gallup pullout Monday shows that support has nearly halved since then. Only 17% of Americans now consider themselves supporters of the Tea Party. Americans who are married over 65 have also abandoned the group in droves. 
So a little uh, oh boy. Change, change in the political wind there, possibly. The first comprehensive study of the U.S. largest public school districts has found that most schools require too many standardized tests for students, with the average number of mandated uh, standardized testing that a student takes between kindergarten and 12th grade exploding in the last decade to 112, many of which are redundant. Hmm. Uh, most countries outperform the U.S. on international exams, uh, testing students only three times in the same amount of time. So between kindergarten and the 12th grade, they get the, t- the kids are tested three times versus 112 here in the U.S. The study is asking for the tests to be cut back because they're not doing any good. Apparently, the United States government and American intelligence officials are wary of new Russian underwater presence near vital undersea cables that carry almost all global internet communications. Russian subs are hanging around the uh, sub-Atlantic internet cables. It sounds like a spy ring. Looking at them. And, and the article was funny because it was, it was saying that maybe Russia is going to start working on tapping internet cables. And in parentheses, something the United States have been doing for Years. quite decades. Yeah. Uh, but or they're worried blowing that them up. You it, cut them in half. If and tensions you... rise between Russia and the U.S., that Russia decides just to cut the cable and then we have no internet access. Uh, that would ruin a no, lot of days. My no, son would not be able to watch YouTube. I wouldn't be able survive. to watch my son. So that's something to watch as we, uh, us in the United States, or uh, Russia and the United States continue to have this uh, kind yeah. of pseudo-Cold War that's going on. A 34-year-old Florida man Uh-oh. robbed a bank last week. Police say the suspect, Robert Leventani, took a cab to the bank. <laughs> First, he checked his own ATM. Then he went inside, robbed the bank, gave him a note, demanded money, walked out of the bank, got back in the same taxi that he asked to wait for him, drove to another bank, deposited the money he just stole into his own personal account, and then drove to a hotel to hide out or something. And, and they then the caught cops him? Found him? Yeah, they caught That's him. That's so strange. They just followed the taxi cab. They're like, wait a second, here he goes, because the taxi was probably on some sort of surveillance video. And Oh, man. You live in the digital age, brother. Yeah, so he went from one bank to another bank, deposited the... Stolen yeah. money, and then he, not gonna, very smart guy no, there. No, no, no. But well, again, a Florida man. But it's it's a it's a again it's one of the crazy stories out of Florida. There's always a crazy story out of Florida. Uh, let's do this. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to be visiting uh, with some professors that have done some interesting research out of Indiana University about emails versus phone calls or voicemails. So if you wanted to leave a romantic message. Which do you think would convey the message better, an email or a voicemail? Stick with us. You might, uh, you might be surprised. We may be overestimating the power of our voices and underestimating the power of a good email here and there. When we come back, we'll be talking about emails and the power of email to email or not to email. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, have you ever had that random pang of guilt when you need to send your kids or your spouse some love? And then when you shoot them an email, but, uh, you know, maybe instead, ah, maybe they'd rather hear my voice. So you call them and leave a voicemail. Which is the best way to convey love? I mean, wouldn't it face-to-face, ideally, I'm assuming, right? 
But um, when it comes right down to it, some of the latest research out of Indiana University conducted by Dr. Alan Dennis and uh, Dr. Taylor Wells suggests that in this digital age, an email can be more effective in expressing romantic feelings than leaving a voicemail message. So when it comes to your romance, you might want to email it in. And uh, we'll find out why. The co-author of this study, Dr. Taylor Wells, is joining us to uh, to give us some insight on what they have learned. Dr. Wells received his Ph.D. in Information Systems from Indiana University and is now an assistant professor of management information systems at California State University in Sacramento. Again, Dr. Taylor Wells, thanks for being with us today. Hey, great to be with you. What an interesting study. So you um, you wanted to figure out, I guess, which was the best way to convey romantic ideas uh, via email or voicemail. Is is that how this started? No, actually. Uh, so I'm a business school professor. Yeah, I'm like, what are you really, doing? What am I doing here? Um, and so what we were looking at, I was looking for my dissertation work. I was looking at how people communicated using emotion, hmm. um, and particularly in, you know, in, in business settings, you know, conflict management, right. those sort of areas. And, and through trying to you know, work through what, how our theories you know, in, in the academic world worked, we, we thought, hey, what if we were to throw in this, this purely emotional task, some, you know, sending, sending a message to your romantic partner? I mean, that's just... This is pure love. Yeah, pure emotion. You know, right. Let's just see. Are our theories going to just fall down and crash and burn, or, or is, it, is there going to be something there? Yeah. And so this, this study kind of came out of that, and the results turned out kind of interesting. So. And t- talk about the results. What did you find out, email or voicemail? Uh, email, actually, uh, quite strongly. So uh, we, didn't, we didn't expect that, uh, and it wasn't what happened with the business uh, communication. Really? Uh, so when people are communicating romantic messages uh, using email, they add a lot more uh, emotional terms, uh, words, uh, phrases to their messages than with voicemail. With voicemail, it's just kind of a, a quick fire and forget, right. add anything emotional to it. Even when you ask them to add emotion yeah. to it, they just don't. Well, I guess that makes sense. You're, you're, on the voicemail, you're not going to say... You remind me of a long week, a walk on the beach when I'm watching the sunset, and you're not going to get into some really sappy metaphor, right? Whereas the, with email, you've got you've got the time, and so so one of yeah, the reasons interesting. that we we think this might be the case is just email is just fundamentally different uh, than speaking face to face, talking on the phone, voicemail, uh, in that you can edit the messages, and that's just. You know, really, really important. You can look at your message and say, nah, mm. "That's not exactly what I meant." Um, and so, so with email, yeah, you you can get into our well, sappy metaphors. We actually didn't see very many sappy. I bet, yeah, I bet. Maybe that no one's like sappy like me. They're just <laughs> they're all healthy. <laughs> Perhaps I don't know. <laughs> was this different than in the business world? It was, yeah. So in in the you know the sort of uh, our what we call utilitarian communication, our, our normal you know business communication, uh, people actually. Uh, included a little bit more emotion in their voicemail, but actually not not very much overall. Hmm. And so, if um, if I want to convey uh, an emotional love message, it would probably be better to do it via email if I'm in love with somebody. If I want to convey um, a pretty healthy conversation emotionally in business, which would be the best way to deliver it? That's a good question. I actually think email might be better for most forms of emotional communication. Um, whereas with the with the you know the business communication, we just don't you know we don't add much of anything hmm. to those to those messages. Um, 
Whereas with the email, and you know, it's not like our, our participants kind of said, oh, we're going to just add way more to our email. Right. You know, we're going to do this on purpose. Uh, you know, subconsciously, they, they were just adapting to maybe the limitations of the message and saying, oh, well, people say that this is bad. The conventional wisdom says email is bad. Why don't we just you know, uh, throw a little bit more emotion in there. So I, I would say email on both fronts. That's great. And because it makes sense. And even if it's just the simple f- uh, reason of editing, you get to edit and re-edit and rethink the message before you send it. Right. That's pretty powerful. What, um, so did this, did it, are you going to use this for your doctoral dissertation? So, so I, I did use a piece of this for uh, for my dissertation, yeah. So, uh, and that's done, defended, and, and uh, done. working on publishing. That's it. So, and so you got a job uh, out of it, so that's pretty good. Always good, yeah. <laughs> Do you? Um, I, I guess too, because as a relationship coach, I coach a lot of my clients to um, before they have the big conversations to kind of think it through and write it out anyway. Write out what they think might be said write out how they think they might handle it. So some of that is just, I guess, processing. You get to process and write it out, even if you don't send it. Right, which is, which is required by using email. Yeah. Is, it, is, it, um, is there something to do – we, do we self-censor while, when we're talking something out? Are we more, are we more careful to manage our emotion? I, I think there's a little bit of that. We, we try to look at you know, what happened you – because know, there's people who – well, myself included, you know, when they, when they need to make a phone call or even leave a message with someone, they kind of think it out beforehand. You know, even before they pick up the phone, it's, oh, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? Whereas with email, you just, you know, hit compose and say go, and then you can edit as, you, as, you, as you're on your way. Yeah. Um, so I think there might be something with, with that, yeah. Is it does, – does any of this um, – I guess it's one thing how I prepare the message to be read. The whole other side of this is do people – expect something different from an email than they do a, a voicemail? And do they respond different, you know, physiologically? So, uh, well, you're reading my dissertation. Uh, Is that your so dissertation? We looked, yeah, we looked at both the sending and the receiving side. Now, unfortunately, for the receiving side, uh, we actually didn't look at the romantic piece on the receiving side. Um, but we have done a little pilot study uh, in the last uh, month or so, and it looks like uh, the email might also be better on the receiving side as well. So that was huh. kind of the, the jury's still out, but possibly uh, email is still good on that side. But it, it is – people, I guess, look at an email differently or and they they react differently to what they see in an email than they do when they hear it. They do physiologically, absolutely. Is that interesting? And is that cross-genders? So both genders are the same? We expected it to be completely different. And there's a bunch of research that says that gender is different for a variety of things in communication. Uh, right. In this study, we didn't find anything due to gender, country of origin, you know, things like that. Interesting. So what, what, do, you, what do you think that's about? You know, I, I think it might be that just the processing uh, that, that you were talking about with, with email is just much more fundamental. I mean, men and women, just, you know, when we cognitively process, when we think about the email, when we're composing, it's just, it's just a really, you know, a deep down communication process that, that really is the same for both. Yeah. Uh, it, I think it's it, This is some great research, Taylor, when you think about Thank it, because this is going, this isn't going away. And the more, the faster we learn this, because we almost have this inherent bias that, uh, you know, it's it's better to do this in person. Then second might be it's better to do it on the phone than just do it by text or email. But uh, there, there might be a di- – you, do you sense a difference between doing a live 
call versus a voicemail? So, so we didn't study that, uh, you know, partially just because we were in the lab hooking people up to sensors and that, you know, that becomes right. tricky. Um, but my, my, my take on it is that I, I think we might need to kind of rethink a little bit of the, you know, what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. I mean, some of us lament, you know, that, you know, teens, millennials are only using, you know, the texting and, uh-huh. and, and, and lean communication to communicate. But maybe that's not quite as bad as we once thought. Right. Uh, now, I, I, I certainly, we, we need face-to-face time. Uh, and, our, you know, the kids don't have enough of it. But, but maybe, maybe, you know, the, the romance side and the communication side isn't so bad. No, I've actually, with clients I've had um, that fight a lot and that, um, that, that I don't have immediate access to get to them for a while. I give them a tool where they, I ask them to text their arguments and um, they have to wait. Uh, I give them like time limits. Like you have to, you can't send, you have to wait like 10 minutes between messages. Okay. So it slows down their process of communicating and it allows each person to formulate their response. And then I always teach them to show understanding and and kind of reflect what they're learning. But I've just noticed by slowing down the conversation, there's inherent benefits. Um, so maybe part of this is about, you know, email slows it down and lets, allows you to process. It may be, yeah. That's very interesting. It's crazy stuff. What What do you project? What's the future of the research? Where do you think you're going to take it from here on out? Well, that's a good question. Uh, so on the receiving side, we never actually studied the romantic piece. So there's probably a, there's probably a study or two kind of, you know, in the future going that direction just to see, you know, anecdotally and, and in a little pilot, we kind of are starting to see some results that are also, I think, interesting. But I think that's where we're probably going to go next. Uh, Taylor, is, did you ever think you'd become the uh, relational expert of emails? No, and and uh, all of my my friends, family, and colleagues are all saying, "Oh, it's Doctor Love," and, uh, and you know this business school professor who who studies really more boring, uh, you know, business communication more often. And yeah, apparently I'm uh, I'm now Doctor Love. <laughs> is that is that what threw this out into kind of the social media and the the viralness of this message was? It was the relational side, wasn't it? Absolutely, yeah. That's that's what people have picked up on, and 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 you know that's that's great. It shows some highlights on my research, not just the you know the emotional side, but also some of the other stuff. That's right. Well, and nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with being the doctor of love. It, it will help your love life. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that could be good, bad, or whatever. Uh, well, this is fascinating, and so I guess um, one of the things, though, too, is. In our day to day life, our work life, it also is saying when we're interacting with. Uh, especially, I guess, millennials, there's not, there's not necessarily harm in doing something via email. Right. Yeah. I mean, we, we didn't also look, I mean, we didn't ask people to send, you know, angry messages also. And so we have to be careful that, hey, you know, email might, you know, we see flaming online, we see, you know, conflict sort of escalating with, you know, people type in caps on emails. So we have yeah. to be careful on using it, you know, just blanket statements all the way across the board. But but maybe email, you know, people can develop these close relationships, you know, work relationships and romantic relationships mm. with the, you know, with the email. Yeah, uh, it really is great stuff. Well, we appreciate you. Taylor Wells, keep up the great work, keep up the great research, and uh, we'll have you back someday to help us uh, walk through emails, you know, 10 years from now, what's going on. Taylor Wells, appreciate you. Dr. Taylor Wells, um, who now is at uh, on his way or is at uh, the uh, Professor of Management Information Systems at Cal State University in Sacramento. Great stuff, folks. We're learning, aren't we? Emails, 
They can help. Uh, apparently, they don't hurt. If you're trying to convey love, they may be a really, really valuable source or way to do that. We'll take a break, folks. We'll come back, continue talking about some relationship issues when we come back. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, when we talk about uh, these new kind of rules, for example, using email as as a great way to convey emotional kind of love and feelings of emotion and love for somebody, it's going to work better than voicemail, apparently. There are a lot of rules that uh, that are changing, and you may not even know it, um, but... If you're going by the old book for dating, it may be setting you up for failure. So as part of the Coach's Corner today, I wanted to go through uh, an article. There's some funny things uh, that Glamour Magazine put together about dating rules that no longer apply. 25 dating rules that no longer apply. We won't have time to get to all of them, but these are a few of them. And uh, so, Ben, uh, get your ears on, my friend, because this is... Oh, I've, I'm listening. This is... Uh... <laughs> I've been a long, long advocate for the email love letter. So. Have you? Wow. Mm-hmm. Even with people I don't know very well. Well, I know. You sent one to Kaylee. That was awkward. Yeah, that, that backfired. That kind of backfired. I mean, next time, I mean, before you send a love letter, you probably need to kind of be dating. Yeah, okay. Just, I'm, I'm calm down. Okay, I, I thought, okay. Yeah. No, it's but, old, I mean, it's old-fashioned, but okay. uh, here's the old rule. The old rule, wait for him to ask you out, ladies. That's the old rule. The new rule, go after what you want. Oh, that's just scary. I tell, I say this to women all the time. Come on, you're free. You are an empowered woman. Why are you waiting for a guy to ask you? Ah, well, it just is scary. Well, according to the new rules, you are, you're equal, right? The old rule, you know, there was a, I guess he would ask you out. Nope. No, go after you what you want, according to Glamour Magazine. The old rule, when a man and a woman meet up socially, it's automatically a date. The new rule, uh, make sure you know what you're in for. They may just ask you to hang out, and just because they ask you to hang out doesn't mean it's a date. In today's day and age, you may just be hanging out. They actually just may need somebody to you know, sit in the passenger seat so they can get the, the cheaper toll on the <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's horrible, but totally could happen. So just because you're out together doesn't mean it's a date. Old rule, never say yes to a Saturday night date. It will make you look like you're desperate. You're not being sought after. New rule, if you're lucky enough to have a free slot in your schedule, then by all means say yes to the poor man. We used to, There used to be, it seems like, more gamesmanship. Oh, I'm really busy. So no, I'm washing my hair on Saturday night getting ready for Sunday. The old rule, expect him to plan the perfect evening. I mean, if he's asking you out, he should plan the perfect evening. The new rule, whoever did the asking should do the planning. Right? And by the way, we I, let me add a new new rule. We could both plan, you know, work together on making it a great night. How about that one? 
The old rule, the newer the relationship, the more cash is required. The newer the relationship, the more money you got to throw out there. The new rule, a high-budget outing can lead to a lot of unnecessary pressure for a first date. So instead, maybe less is more on the first date, according to Glamour magazine. Less is more. Uh, Old rule, dinner is the best way to get to know someone. Mm, Not necessarily. Skip dinner for something less stuffy. I mean, there's a lot of great ways. Go on a walk. Go to a museum. Go somewhere where you can just talk. Take a take a you know take a picnic and go on a hike. By the way, Ben's just taking these all in. He's writing notes. Seriously, it's amazing. Old uh, old rule. I got to clean some of these up. They're just not appropriate for our audience. Old rule: pick me up at eight. New rule, meet in a public place. If this is your first date, meet in a public place in front of a police department. Just sit on the bench in front of the police department. Especially if it's a blind date. Totally. If it's a blind date and you don't know the guy, don't have him pick you up at your place. That's the last thing you need. Or if he's a stalker, like Ben, that's why so many of your dates just say, I'll just meet you in front of campus police. Well, it's good to know all of these because I know how I can bypass them. Well, after I think about oh. them a little bit more. Eh. Yeah, don't worry about it. Don't worry about thinking about it. Uh, here's one. Make an entrance by being fashionably late. New rule. Keep him waiting. Keeping him waiting doesn't give you um, this good old Hollywood allure. It just makes you look unreliable and maybe even a bit uh, selfish or mean. So I wouldn't keep people waiting. Uh, old rule, pretend like you've never been in another relationship, <laughs> like you're just fresh out of the box. New rule, X talk is still best avoided, but it's not necessarily a deal breaker. We all understand everyone's got baggage. Old rule, avoid talking about your job. New rule, shop talk is traditionally seen as inappropriate during a date, but for many of us, our work is a huge part of our lives, so you might be able to share some of that. Last one. Old rule, don't talk about politics or other serious topics. New rule, while it's old-fashioned etiquette, it may have emphasized the art of polite small talk. We think that if you're passionate about something, whether it's a social cause or a political hot-button topic, you should feel free to talk about it. Interesting. The rules are changing, folks. And if the rules are changing and you actually want to date, you might want to learn some of the new rules. And you know what? You can make them up as you go. Right? This was just Glamour's approach. 25 dating rules that no longer apply. You can find it. It was published on uh, the 23rd of October in Glamour magazine, something I read daily. I've got some explaining to do to everyone around me now. Where'd you get the Glamour thing? Hey, look at me and tell me I don't look glamorous. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we'll be visiting our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation. Spencer and Jerem, find out what's going on in their world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. A little throwback music for our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. They're staying alive. 
Let's shoot it down. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Hello, Spencer and Jerem. Hello. What's up? You what? would go with some 70s music after mm. BYU drops mm. a 70s mm. spot oh, for the first time oh, in 14 snap. years. Wow. Oh, That's exactly why. It was well thought out. That was beautiful. Or not. This song reminds me of you, Jerem. How so? I don't know. Just the tight pants. (laughs) I got the, everybody's looking at my tight pants. (laughs) I love that. Little Jimmy Fallon. Hey, um, uh, BYU, uh, I don't know if you guys saw the game. (laughs) They played Wagner. Some German. Some German team. First year. But, Billy, that was a blowout like you called it, boys. I asked for 70 points on Friday, and Robert and I got my text. He got your text, obviously. Mm-hmm. Did Did you ask for Wagner to get six? No. I'm more of an offensive guy anyway. Yeah. Offensive is the way I... You're totally offensive. It. A lot of people have commented on that. Offensive. Um, is this was, this... was this a good thing? This was a good blowout. We're going to talk about that very thing okay, on good. today's show. BYU dropped 70. Yeah, we know it's Wagner. But what did we learn... And how much did BYU really grow in a situation like that? They still had a good turnout. I mean, it's just like people like football. Imagine that. But it's the same thing, you know. Your friends would turn out to watch you play your little brother. <laughs> Beat him up for a couple hours. <laughs> a lot of teams play FCS teams. Yeah. So this isn't an uncommon thing. No. Um, and when BYU scheduled the game, Wagner had won two of the last three conference titles. Ooh. Um, they came into this game 0-6, so they certainly weren't the same team that they had been the last couple of years. But BYU got the backups in. Uh, they got some good, meaningful reps uh, you know, for, for backups where people are actually tackling you. You, you actually have refs there. Right. You actually have a scoreboard and fans. Is it so, dangerous? Is it, bo- is like, it dangerous? Like for, I look at like what do they do, card off five guys from Wagner in the first half? That's... You don't want anyone to get hurt. But no, but it's for, like speed. Wagner, yeah, yeah. Not worried. Probably, yeah, but I'm not worried about that <laughs> part of it. I'm worried about BYU's it, part of it. It, it just seems like BYU that, had a similar situation when they went to Michigan. Guys got hurt. Right. Uh, no, exactly. Last year against Utah State, guys yeah. get hurt. It's the nature of the game. You're playing football. It's like you're you will have people hurt. Well, yeah, but game. you're playing Every at time. different speeds, really. Yeah. But I mean, I guess if if you know, one dies, it's all worth it. That's the goal. <laughs> stay, sa- stay relatively safe. Yeah. Hey, if you I'm want g- to stay safe, don't play football. Be- yeah, yeah, exactly. No, exactly. <laughs> right? That's if right. If you want to not get in a car, because don't ever get in a car. Let, well, let me give you another one. If you want to play safe, according to the World Health Organization, don't eat processed meats. I've seen World War Z. And uh, what was that other one? There was another one. Ha- have, have you, have you heard the new news, the sad news? Because I have a feeling it might really impact you too. What's up? Eating processed meat can now lead to bowel cancer, according to the World Health Organization. Boy. So the 22-member panel put the processed meats, uh, such as hot dogs and ham, into its Group 1 list, which also include tobacco, asbestos, and diesel fumes, which are all known and have sufficient evidence for cancer links. Well, then. So... Hot dogs, yeah. And so cancer, is yeah. That what you just said it's apparently so. So the WHO organization, WHO, WHO, they're they're worried now. Now listen to this. Another lab, then Clear Labs, has been analyzing, uh, they're, they're using genomic technology to analyze the world's foods at the molecular level. You won't believe this. The company analyzed 345 hot dogs and sausage products, 
and from 75 brands and 10 retailers. And they said that they found human DNA in 2% of the samples. Why do you tell us this stuff? By the way, two-thirds... I don't want to know how the sausage is made. Two-thirds of the vegetarian samples contain human DNA. Just saying. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, but you know what we always go back to on the show? Moderation. If you want human DNA, we say consume it in moderation. Wow. But what does this have to do with sports? What does it have to do with sports? <laughs> Let me help you. Exactly. That's what it is. Exactly. Um, you guys going to do your show then? Yeah, yeah. Is it going to include hot dog DNA no, stuff? No, I'm so thoroughly grossed out right now. <laughs> Then my work is done. Yeah. No, mission accomplished. <laughs> mission accomplished. It's just human DNA. It could be hair. It could be <sighs> hair. Hair's a filler. What are those? The Hebrew national hot dogs, those are the best to get. Yeah, clean. Yeah. Kosher, mm. high-quality meat. Yeah. They only had like 1% of human DNA. No. There is 0% in those babies. <laughs> We're not trying to be against hot dogs because who doesn't love a good hot dog? Well, I don't love a good hot dog when there's 2% human DNA. I know. Where's that coming from? Which is why I will now only buy Hebrew national hot dogs. It's like you don't want to go to the butcher who has less (laughs) than five fingers. That's right. Remember Four Finger Joe? Oh, that guy was great. You're like, well, there's 2%. (laughs) Hey, what do you put in your sausage, Joe? You don't want to know. <laughs> I'm going to a different butcher at that point. <laughs> you haven't been to a butcher in your life. When was the last Have time I you went to a, a butcher? butcher? I did, on, you know, on my mission I don't in think Argentina. I've been to a butcher. Oh, they're fantastic. Yeah. Clean, clean, clean meat. None of this 2% DNA thing. Hey, what's on your show today, guys? BYU Sports Nation bingo recap. Oh, that's right. Yeah. As well as ESPN's Trevor Maddich. Mm-hmm. What percent chance will he give BYU to run the table and finish the regular season with 10 wins and two losses? Ah, that'd be cool. We still haven't talked about Taylor Swift either. I know. We keep forgetting. Ben is going to write that down again. Taylor Swift tomorrow. We will, we will do Taylor tomorrow. And yes, Tanner sir. Mangum added another little comment uh, to that conversation to me after the game on Saturday. Really? Yep. Are they dating? Tanner and Taylor. It could happen. (laughs) If he's the number one pick in the NFL draft in three years and she's still available, maybe. Yeah, for sure. Oh, this is exciting. See, guys? (laughs) This is what comes up on BYU Sports Nation. Top of the hour. BYU Sports Nation TMZ. (laughs) That's an alternate. That's the second hour of the show. That's the second hour. The TMZ version. Yeah. Your Taylor Swift. Your source for Taylor Swift information. Good job. Well, guys, uh, let's. Uh, so, are we still going to go? You know, get a hot dog this afternoon, or what? We were, but we don't want to. Okay. Well, all right. There's Hebrew Korean. National. Let's go get some Korean. Yeah, there is. There is that cup bop. Cup bop. Cup bop. Yeah. I, I had that the other day for the first time. Delicious. I think I got more bop than I did cup. <laughs> Do you know what bop is? No, I don't. It's it's the word in Korean for cooked rice. Yeah. Okay. No. I got more. Is there a word for like, you know, reflux, acid reflux? <laughs> yeah. Como se dice acid <laughs> Como reflux? Como se dice. Let's see. What would that be in Korean? 
So we're here. That's what the Matt Townsend show is for, to help people with the health alert. Now they know. They know that uh, 2% of our supposedly our hot dogs analyzed have 2% human DNA. Oh, that just gets me every single time. Hey, but uh, while we're on it... Um, Police in New Jersey town are asking the person who was expecting 50 pounds of marijuana in the mail to come claim their package. (laughs) The pot was delivered to a home in Hazlitt, New Jersey. The homeowner, homeowner called police because it was addressed to someone who did not live at the residence. Police say they were now trying to figure out how to find the person. And when they opened the packages and discovered the marijuana in sealed bags, they became even more interested. Police say the person is more than welcome to come to the police headquarters to claim their package. In the meantime, officers are trying to find uh, the shipper and the intended recipient. Boy. Okay, so where where did you ship it? I shipped shipped it to New Jersey. I didn't say New Jersey. I said New York. Well, I'm sorry, man. Get off my back. Did you hear about the uh, tattooed biker that was jailed for three days in Australia for playing Angry Birds? On his girlfriend's phone, an Australian biker spent three days in custody after he was caught breaching his bail conditions by playing mobile uh, mobile video game Angry Birds on his girlfriend's phone. Leslie Markham is a member of the Gold Coast chapter of the Mongols Club. He was charged with drug trafficking in June this year, with one of his bail conditions being no mobile phone use. But last week, a plain-clothed officer spotted Markham playing Angry Birds on his pregnant partner's phone at the doctor's clinic in the Gold Coast suburb of Coomera in southeast Queensland. See? One video game. Back in jail with you, my friend. One game. Busted. Man, that's hard. You can't even play a video game. Oh, well. As you know, we always like to end the show on a hero story, one that is, uh, you know, positive and hopeful. Jeff Flieger, uh, he's the lead custodian at Meade Elementary School. He's our hero of the day. He took a CPR in a first aid class a couple of years back on his own accord. It wasn't required of him, but he thought he would learn the skills just in case an emergency ever came up, according to timescall.com. An emergency, though, came up on Thursday uh, Flieger performed the Heimlich maneuver on an eight-year-old Luke Dowen who was choking on a bagel in the school's cafeteria, probably saving Dowen's life because Flieger said the boy was uh, between bright red and turning blue. He had never given the Heimlich maneuver before. It was the first time, he said. I didn't know if it was going to work. Luke did a good job, too. He was able to get a, someone's attention and give the sign of choking. Flieger said he just reached to the situation and the gravity of uh, it just kind of barely has hit, it to, hit, hit him how, uh, how serious this all was. Luke came up and said thank you and gave Flieger a hug. He added that Luke's brother also approached him to say thanks. 
In a sense, they're all my little kids, Flieger said. I wanted to do what I'd, uh, you know, I could do for my own kids. I think I was, um, if I hadn't done it, no one else could have done it. So anyway, he doesn't necessarily feel like a hero, but the school principal, Betsy Ball, said Flieger already goes above and beyond what his job calls for. And he's often seen doing things like teaching the younger students how to open their milk cartons. We have a great custodian, Ball said. I'm very proud of him. He saved Luke's life. Luke's mother, Julie Dowen, said Luke is doing great and called Flieger a hero for what he had done, adding that the incident should be a reminder to teachers and staff at schools to always be on the lookout. It can happen so quickly, she said. Luke was so weak after the adrenaline. Um, Flieger carried him to the nurse's office and he was shaking. Luke was pretty scared by it all. He says this is the first time that uh, he started realizing that he could have died. Luckily, Luke knew what to do, and uh, Flieger knew what to do and was there. So Luke called for the attention, and Flieger heeded the call. Folks, that's a hero right there. You all can be a hero. We all are heroes for one another. That's the show, folks. We'll be back tomorrow. More ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world. Until tomorrow, look out for each other, and uh, let's, let's take care of each other. We'll be back tomorrow.